The T-Rex is 32 miles an hour. T-Rex? Mm-hmm. You said you've got a T-Rex? Uh-huh. Say again. <laughs> we have a T-Rex. Oh. Put your, put your <laughs> head between your knees. <laughs> Dr. Grant. My dear Dr. Sattler. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Listeners, our dear podcast fans, welcome to Ramblin', an Amblin' podcast. The podcast where we tap the amber minds of Amblin' entertainment. Sparing no expense as we examine the code of DNA that runs through the films of the production company founded by Steven Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall. I am one half of your prehistoric host, Andy Godian. And I'm the other half, Joshua Glenn. And today we have invited the guests to come and check out the facilities of Jurassic Park. A man who knows his Dilophosauruses from his Gallimimus, filmmaker and founder of the site Jurassic Outpost, and fellow Channel Islander, Jack Delamere. Welcome to Ramblin'. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. <laughs> the joy on both of Absolutely your faces you. during that whole passage was really radiating from the screen. It was that was impressive. <laughs> that was impressive, Jack. It really was. I had fun writing that one. <laughs> <laughs> it really gets me going as well. Any any topic, any conversation about Jurassic Park, I start getting excited. I start feeling like a kid again. So that was good. You got me in the zone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you need to practice those dino pronunciations, Andrew? No, no, I had those in the bag. Damn. They were they were ready and they were in the cannon. <laughs> oh, I'm with a couple of hardcore dino boys. I'm way out of my depth in this one. <laughs> well, you know what? That's a common misconception is that people have always said that about me. It's, oh, he's obsessed with dinosaurs. I'm like, I honestly couldn't give a... I couldn't care about dinosaurs. I like them. They're cool. But Jurassic Park, for me, I don't know what it is. It's like the atmosphere. It's the movie. It's the environment, mm. right? 
I, and I think it's always something. Oh, yeah. Dinosaurs are awesome. They'll always be awesome. But I don't really care for them outside of Jurassic. Like, I don't really care for dinosaurs. I always find that really interesting. I don't know about you, Jay, but... That is interesting. <laughs> I, I was a bit... I, I'm trying to... Like, they both have been in my life for about the same amount of time. So it's hard to know which one was which. That kind of, like, kick-started this. <laughs> Whether it was a dino fascination first or a Jurassic Park fascination first. I'll never know. <laughs> I was get like before we fully kick off. I was like, so me and you met at sixth form, and we kind of bonded over movies in general, and also kind of discovering that you had a big love for JP. And uh, what what can you tell listeners about Jurassic Outpost who may, who may not be too familiar with it? Because this is a, a long time project for you that has really kind of boomed into something quite like substantial in the Jurassic Park fan community. Yeah, it's funny. It's really hard to... Uh, whenever people ask, like, what's Outpost? I was like, it's just a website. But really, um, <laughs> it started a long time ago, more than 10 years ago, not as Outpost. But when I met you, Jay, I was still like, oh, they're going to make a Jurassic Park 4. They need to make a Jurassic Park 4. Yeah. Since I was a kid, it's all I wanted. You know, after Jurassic Park 3, I just wanted another one. They kept saying about it. And then 12 years later, they still haven't made it. And I, I, I think I just set up a website that was cataloging the news and trying to create campaigns to get Universal to make the movie uh, and it came a long way and when Jurassic World was announced new people came in and it's just blossomed into this huge it's like a big fan site right for Jurassic but now mm-hmm. a, a number of us that are there work with Universal quite directly and over the past few years obviously Jurassic World is a new franchise so it's this big they put some money in it and there's a lot going on with it, right? So we worked with Universal for some events. Uh, we did the one when the Jurassic World, not live tour, the other one, ex- exhibition, the one where you could go oh, around yeah, and they, they, they had all the dinosaurs, sort of like working with dinosaurs tour. Um, we did an event with Universal for that where we kind of showed them, you know, the, the fandom, the community is out there and they want to be involved mm. in this kind of thing. And then we did the Jurassic Park 25th anniversary event at Universal Hollywood and and I think that showed them over the course of three days how many people were there and how many fans are still out there who just like want this like they it does mm. with other franchises and I think Outpost was was quite good in in helping set that up and now I guess it's just kind of what it's just part of the community like there's a, there's a lot of people that work for yeah. Outpost and and do stuff me and Chris the I guess two of the two of the main guys that were running the site. We've, we've taken a little step back from Outpost because we now work a little bit closely with Universal on some actual official um, Jurassic World like web content, which is a lot of fun. So it really has come full circle. I'm technically working on the franchise that I grew up adoring. So yeah. pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> you, you manifested this. You made this happen. You saw it and you made it come to be. It's a beautiful thing. That's it. I prayed for it. <laughs> what's the what's, what's the sense that you get of the Jurassic Park community? Because from what I see as, as, a, as someone on the outside who just sort of sees um, replies to your tweets and stuff, it seems like a very nurturing, nice, supportive, just generally pleasant and good-natured fandom, which is in st- stark contrast to almost every other fandom that exists out there sure uh yeah so it is filled with such wonderful talented people like any fandom right i don't have much experiences mm-hmm. with other fandoms but it is well known that say for example <laughs> oh god i might get some hate here but the star we'll, wars we'll fandom <laughs> is, is known right the star wars fandom is known for drama oh, yeah. don't just... worry we, we 
We'll shit on those boys before. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Ghostbusters too. Yeah, yeah, seriously. I can get toxic over that, right? But with yeah. Jurassic, yeah. there is... The fandom's just full of amazing people. And Jurassic mm. World brought in even more and, and younger people. And, and there's like a whole new fandom that's kind of grown because of it. The legacy people are still there. The ones that were there like on the internet in 2001, Jurassic Park 3 era. Those people are still there. But now it's just grown into this huge thing. And you have... You can kind of see the generational shift in the fandom. Mm-hmm. You can see the young fans yeah. who love Jurassic World and, and love everything um, new and love Camp Cretaceous. And yeah, it's it's just amazing to see. I've sort of I remember growing up. Most of the time I was growing up, this franchise was dead, and there was no movie. And and you'd see a wall of posters and T-shirts in HMV or something, right? There would never be a Jurassic mm. Park one. There'd be every other movie that was ever made <laughs> except Jurassic Park. So I grew up with that, and now I can't turn a corner without seeing something Jurassic, which is yeah. which is great. You're seeing two yeah. sides of the coin. But then I guess it depends what you think of the new movies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> what, what was uh, kind of like your... Because, like, as I say, similarly, JP... It's kind of a big thing about how we bonded, but what what about the kind of Amblin canon, as it were? What the the works of Spielberg and other filmmakers in this, like Zemeckis? What's that? Does that kind of play into the big part of the kind of filmic nostalgia for you as well? I think so. Stuff? Yeah, I, I think growing up, uh, Jurassic and Lost World were just back to back VHS. So for me, like what oh yeah. what what made you want to be in film it's like jurassic park you know what made you want to be do the things you did it's like jurassic park it all comes back to that but there's definitely a i mean the whole feeling is true through amblin movies and obviously being a jurassic fan you start as a kid you venture into other movies you start watching other spielberg films and indiana jones et and i think that's one thing that your guys' podcast does so well is it's cataloging these movies that a lot of people don't realize are, are so similar and have the same themes running through yeah. them. But they don't even realize they're from the same people or a lot of like people, I always used to use this analogy, a lot of people don't know who Zemeckis, Zemeckis is. Mm-hmm. Like you ask the average person, like who's Steven Spielberg, a big film director, who's Robert Zemeckis? I don't know. But he's directed some of the best movies that have ever been made. I Yeah. That's it's kind of a sidetrack from Amber, but I find that really interesting about <laughs> Zemeckis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just because he's made some of the best movies. But yeah, I don't know. All Ambler movies are there, really. Um, and I think it's just... It's really hard to pinpoint, isn't it? That feeling, it's just something that... Yeah. Just plays from our nostalgia, Hard to quite quantify. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, how have you guys quantified it on the podcast? Like, you've watched so Ooh. many Ambler movies in, what, a year? <laughs> We've been trying for for thirty two episodes now, and it's 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 hard, it's hard to put into words. Much as we try, it is that intangible. I think the closest the closest that we get to describing it is is the kind of like um, artifacts that are passed down. There's a generational quality to them, I think, and that definitely fits in with what you're saying about the the generation divides in the uh, Jurassic Park fandom. It is a, it's very much sharing something with your children, and then they take it and make it their own then they share it with their kids and there's something about that i think that's intrinsic to amblin it's very uh inclusive i suppose and rewarding and uh, generous Mm. for the most for the most part unless you get you know a far away place or a 
<laughs> a dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's definitely yeah, some there's weird definitely ones. Common themes. <laughs> <laughs> there's common themes throughout, and I think in Jurassic, right, you've got like forced family, right? Which is something Spielberg mm-hmm. does a lot. You have a yeah. bunch of people forced to kind of be together and survive, and in the end result is like, well, they kind of end up as a family because they've had to go through this ordeal together. And that's quite common in all the Jurassics, and that's something that I think um a nerdstalgic video was talking about the Jurassic fandom recent uh, Jurassic movies recently and brought up the same thing and how the new movies aren't doing that really and then kind of putting you on the other side of the fence with like Pratt's like at the opening of Jurassic World I'm sorry I'm talking about Jurassic World I'm just going straight <laughs> into it go for it <laughs> but at the start of Jurassic World you know the guy the worker falls in the in the pit and he's about to get killed by raptors and you're like wow oh, man this is gonna be a crazy scene and then owen just sort of saves the day and you're like cool so like we're in safe hands then <laughs> like we're in safe hands around these dinosaurs but it doesn't go like that in the opening of jurassic park right they the guy dies mm-hmm. yeah and it's like shit shooter and- <laughs> yeah exactly shooter. it's like an incredible scene and you're like fuck and they still open the park like yeah and yeah, yeah. <laughs> in Jurassic World it's kind of like builds up this big scene at the beginning and then they save the day and you're like okay so the raptors are they're fine and people are fine around <laughs> and I think that that's like part of it that's like lost and it's missing it's like these are the things that are missing but that doesn't talk about Jurassic Park let's go back to 93 and talk about the fact yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get worked up <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Hold him back, boys. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, before we move on to Josh Glenn's synopsis, I'm going to let him a- ask the question that we ask all our oh, guests. Oh, yeah! Uh, to add, oh, my for God. me to add to my... To my, to my list. You know what, Matt? It's been so long since we've done a remote record with, with someone that hasn't already chimed in. I, I've forgotten about that. Yeah, so, Jack, <laughs> one of the tenements of this podcast, I think I might slightly... No, no, it's going to be a two-part question. So the first part of the question is, Jack Delamere, do you cry at E.T.? <laughs> oh, I knew this question was coming. I prepared my life. Um, I did cry. Of course I cried. No, um, I, I cry, I've I, cried at E.T. once. It wasn't the first time I saw it, though. And it was the scene in the, you know, when Elliot sees him in, when he's dying. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty fucked. Yeah. Um, that got me once, but not. it wasn't the first time. So I'm sorry. Interesting. No, that's an interesting. <laughs> no, it's I not a reliable cryer. So the second part to my question is: Do you then cry at the land before time? Mm. It's been a long time since I've seen the land before time, uh, so I can't answer that question. I blubbed when we did it last year. I absolutely went. <laughs> uh, it's very much a line in the sand between between the two hosts of this podcast is E.T. or Land Before Time in terms of yanking those tear ducts that thankfully the listeners can't see the gesture E.T. is <laughs> <laughs> definitely a sad one I think because so many people can connect yeah. not necessarily mm. with the idea of an alien but just being a kid that feels isolated and then connecting yeah, with something yeah. that everybody else yeah. seems to want to pull away from you like they it's so yeah. common. It's such a theme. Like as a kid, you know, we all feel that with something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. E.T.'s great, man. 
Armani oh, rules. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. But there, there are those two different kinds of. There's, there's the cry from uh, recognition and, and and a feeling that that you empathise with a character on screen. And there's a second kind of cry that we're going to talk about a lot in relation to this film is when something is working so <laughs> fucking well and you're like, yes, yes, it's happening. <laughs> this is paying off in dividends. Yes. <laughs> oh man, crying in crying in movies though. I'm glad I wasn't like old enough to go to a cinema and see et because i probably would have oh, cried yeah. the first time i saw it in the cinema yeah and crying in a cinema is never something uh that's great unless everybody else is crying <laughs> <laughs> if you're the only one crying yeah. <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna leave what's wrong with you people <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah everyone else is laughing you're just out there sobbing I'm, just like, <laughs> I'm watching the wrong film uh, yeah <laughs> uh, what about et2 though hey you read that script <laughs> I, I read part of that treatment, um, yeah, Night true. Skies or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> More evil aliens. <laughs> yeah, weird, huh? I'm glad they never did that, but at the same Very time, kind of wish they had. I, <laughs> yeah. The designs were great. Was it Rick Backer? Did he do some of the designs? or I think Rick Baker Rick came Baker? back to do some stuff because he, he did a, some stuff initially for the first draft of E.T. when that was more of a home invasion thriller. <laughs> like the original script that was like really fucking dark yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that draft out there can you read that original et yeah you, you can read you can read the original one uh that john sales wrote that's out there john sales <laughs> yeah oh man we have to talk about his jp4 as well but um <laughs> yeah we'll get that wait what now to build us Built, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. It's a learning experience for me. Holy cat! He's got his fingers in so many would-be Amblin pies. Yeah, man. Would be. It's <laughs> <laughs> too wild. Now to build us into our Jurassic Park discussion proper, I would love to know what Josh Glenn thought Jurassic Park is all about. Take it away, synopsis boy. Well, in <laughs> case anyone out there isn't aware. Jurassic Park is in fact. <laughs> Jurassic Park begins. When a mysterious, not quite reptilian creature mauls and kills its handler as it's being loaded into an enclosure in a mysterious theme park, a lawyer representing the park's investors is dispatched to obtain testimonials from scientists that deem the park safe and thus protect them from any similar attacks in future. The owner of the park, industrialist John Hammond, played by Dickie Attenborough, heads over to the Badlands to find paleontologist Alan Grant, played by Sam Neill, and paleobotanist Ellie Settler, played by Laura Dern, and convince them to visit his park. After some initial scepticism, they are convinced when Hammond promises to offer more funding to their digs if they accompany him. En route to Isla Nublar. Uh, Isla, nu- Isla Nubar? Hang on. Isla Nubar or Nublar? People always do that. Nublar. It's Nublar. <laughs> Nublar. They've done it in Nublar. official Nublar. stuff too. <laughs> I, had a, I had a moment of horrifying existential dread just then. En route to Isla Nublar, an island just off the coast of Costa Rica, where Hammond's theme park is housed, Grant and Sattler meet the lawyer Donald Gerano, played by Martin Ferreno, and the individual he brought along. Chaos Theory Acolyte Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum. Upon arrival at their destination, they're loaded into Ford Explorers and taken to the centre of the park where they see <gasps> real-life Brachiosauruses! <laughs> but how? Well, 
It turns out that Hammond's team of scientists was able to bring dinosaurs dinosaurs back to life by extracting <laughs> DNA stored in prehistoric mosquitoes that had been preserved in amber and using DNA from frogs to fill in the genome gaps <laughs> and ensure that there was no possibility for natural breeding. When the gang discusses the <laughs> while the gang discusses the <laughs> ethics of interpreting uh, interrupting the natural order and exposing it for commercial gain, the park's lead computer programmer Dennis Nedry played by Wayne Knight, engages in some self-serving enterprise of his own. Fed up with his unsatisfactory pay, he accepts a bribe from a corporate rival to steal dinosaur embryos and sneak them out of the park. So, while Grant, Sattler, Malcolm and Gerano are taken on a tour of the park, now joined by Hammond's grandchildren Lex, played by Ariana Richards, and Tim, played by Joseph Mazzello, uh, and an incoming tropical storm makes conditions less than hospitable even before you factor in the dinosaurs, Nedry deactivates the park's security system so he can sneak out undetected. Alas, Nedry's hubris gets the better of him, and after veering off track, he is quickly dispatched by a Dilophosaurus. Terrifying little fuckers. <laughs> those, in <the> control, <laughs> those in the control room, including game warden Robert Muldoon, played by Bob Peck, and chief engineer Ray Arnold, played by Samuel L. Jackson, are unable to bypass his password protection because he didn't say the magic word, leaving the guests of the park horribly exposed to the Jurassic inhabitants. Trapped in the midst of all manner of prehistoric predators, the gang need to get all systems back online, contact the outside world, and escape to the mainland before they meet a similar fate to the goat left in the T-Rex pen. Will they, uh, uh, find a way... <laughs> Very good. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, but you got something wrong, actually, Josh. Um, Did I pronounce the dinosaur wrong? <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't know. Uh, you, <laughs> you mentioned that when they arrive on the island, they jump in four explorers and head to the. Uh, well, I but... did a lot of googling. Oh. <laughs> Ford e- no, it's not actually okay, right, though, is it? First, yeah, is it? Jeep Wranglers, no, the Ford Explorers are the ones that are on rails. I, I condensed a couple of moments, and I changed it several times, and I wanted to be as accurate as I could. Let's I go back to the start of the podcast and start again, because this is just... Drop it, from the top start it, it's not working, shut it down, shut it down. <laughs> oh, very, very good, very good. You know what, I, where did you find that? Was it on IMDb, or did you write that? I wrote, that. I wrote that. Oh shit! Oh, okay. I wanted, I okay. wanted to try and give a sense of the so it's your uh, the stacking of the dominoes because right. there's a lot of things that stack up mm-hmm. and then they get toppled. And, beautiful. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. Uh, so, yeah. No, that was beautiful. I, I, I made the four. I made the. I made the mistake. You made the Ford Explorer mistake. It's okay. <laughs> you I can mean, even call it a mistake. Yeah, we'll um, hairs over here. Oh. You know what's interesting that you mentioned about how it, the movie is, it's its all these different things stacking together before it all kind of crumbles. But you, Jay mentioned how you've, Andrew mentioned, Andy mentioned how you've, you read the book recently or you wanted to get you the book. You can call me Jay, it's right. I've that explained uh, to listeners what Jay means. But yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go on, Jack. Um, so in the movie, right, it's all these, it just keeps getting worse until it mm-hmm, all crumbles mm-hmm. down. In the book, it kind of reaches mm. disaster and then they fix it. And it kind of goes back a little bit to normal and they feel safe. Then a big disaster, right? That's how it kind of happens in the book. And <laughs> yeah. I find that even more terrifying because they're like, they're so close to it and then they pull it away and everyone's oh, patting themselves on the back. Kind oh, of thing. yeah. 
and then they have that realization. We've done it, boys. <laughs> and I think that's what's so great <laughs> about from the jaws um, of victory. Yeah, it's what's so great about Spielberg's directing, and then obviously the writing of this movie is that they managed to take a book that I mean, arguably, like Michael Crichton's one of the greatest writers, but his content doesn't convert well to screenplay. Uh, only a few directors Not have all the time, been no. able to do it. Um, and a lot you read a lot of his stories and you're like it's so amazing but like how would it be a movie because there's so much going on and, mm-hmm. and you you kind of need it all but it doesn't play linearly you know and uh mm-hmm. i think yeah again it's a testament to david Cap and understanding you know understanding both michael crichton's angle and steven spielberg's angle which is arguably like two two just masters of their craft mm-hmm. which is uh which yeah. is crazy um but yeah, I mean, have you guys ever read any of the uh, any of the early screenplays? No, this was very much no. something I was going to kind of ask you about it, because like, because uh, should point out to listeners like this kind of like this book by Crichton really kicked off a bidding war, didn't it? In the early late eighties, early nineties, when it was being published, like every studio in town kind of wanted to wanted to get their get their mitts on it i think like warner brothers wanted it for tim burton columbia pictures wanted it for richard donner fox wanted it for joe yeah, dante yeah but it was spielberg and universal got in there pretty quick because um i think spielberg was working with co-op at the time on er as a film script before that became the, the TV show, show. Yeah. and 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 it I, a staggering amount of money that like, Crichton got to, for selling this. He was like, I will not sell this to anybody unless I get $1.5 million. <laughs> <laughs> and a share of the growth. Uh, James Cameron also <laughs> wanted, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's another one who was like... It is of, just one of those kind of, hooks. It's I one of those... He kind of heard yeah. about it. He very much heard about it on the like the day he was like, I'm going to try buy this. He phoned it. It was like, oh yeah, Spielberg's like closing it in two hours. It's, no, it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember he's talked about it recently, James Cameron. He said it, he yeah. he said he thought you know Spielberg was the right choice. Obviously, have you seen the movie kind of thing? Mm-hmm. But uh, he, I would have loved to see a James Cameron one. What he did yeah. with the Alien yeah. franchise? Come on, man. I mean, his backlog is. Yeah. What's he done wrong? Like his Jurassic would be amazing. Yeah, because <laughs> like at, at this point in his career, he's just coming off the back of the abyss, I guess, which is a, the, the, the closest. Terminator Two as well, I guess. I mean, around, a, around the time of the book's publication, though, he's just coming off the the closest yeah. thing to a dent in his filmography. But I, I, I think the abyss is great, and it's quite a abyss, decent yeah. <laughs> proto. It, it feels kind of Crichton-y in some respects. It does, yeah. Mm. It really does, actually. Yeah. So I can, I can see I can see that James Cameron working. Well, I want to see the parallel universe in which James his, Cameron did, in fact. His make. film definitely would have been much more like the book for sure. Like yeah. he's even yeah. said as much. He wanted it to be aliens esque in terms of the violence. Yeah, and, <laughs> but I think I think the, the corporate and the book is violent. Yeah, and the corporate espionage would have would have had been a bit deeper, I guess. And you've seen more of the people that were trying to bribe Nedry and trying to take these secrets. I think that would have been padded out a little bit in true. Paul Reiser yeah. in Alien style. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and it does it does make you wish. Like I remember, uh, oh, you know what? I can't even remember what that movie. What's the movie that went to Nolan, but Spielberg was going to direct it? You remember Interstellar? Interstellar, right? I remember mm. when that was coming out, and I was like, imagine a movie if called studios. 
Yeah, a little, little, little small one. Um, <laughs> imagine if the studio had gone, all right, we'll give you both the same budget, make the same movie. Like, just as an experiment, mm-hmm. right? Could you imagine watching, yeah. a sp- yeah, going in yeah. being like, right, I'm going to watch the Spielberg <laughs> one first and then I'm going to watch the Nolan one. Like, how cool would that be? Fuck, quite, yeah, someone should do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be fun. But, uh, I now want nothing more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two director choices would be unique. Um, yeah, and maybe they had to use the same cast as well. That'd be that would be interesting. Mm. <laughs> See how they shape the movie. Very interesting. Yeah, um, there was an early draft of Jurassic with um, no Malcolm. Is this the uh, Malia Scotch Marmo one? Because she had just written Hook so for she, Spielberg, and I think she was the first one to rewrite it. Yeah, they kind of um, Crichton gave it a go. Yeah, they took out the character of Malcolm, right? And then morphed the character into sort of like Grant and it's sort of like merged the characters a bit. And then, um, I can't remember, I think it must Spielberg, somebody where it's like, absolutely not like Jeff Goldblum needs to be. In yeah. This. Uh, Jeff Goldblum needs to be in this. Malcolm needs to be in this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there are like, there are other, uh, versions of the script without him in like even rick carter this is something that was discovered recently a friend called derek he um he, he's like he found a load of old scripts and a load of old archive material that no one's ever seen before pretty amazing stuff and he put together rick carter's jurassic park which is like an entire telling of what rick carter wrote a script uh rick carter was the art director right and he was yeah. so involved and so invested in jurassic and when they were going through all these drafts uh, Derek un- uncovered like all these notes and he would send like memos to Spielberg with like here's some ideas for this scene like I'd love you to take a look and he ended up writing a pretty much a whole script and being like I know I wasn't asked but I- here's my thoughts here you are <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> here you go. and um, I mean I-, I just find that whole thing fascinating like even like we know how much this movie impacted cinema when it came out but back yeah. then even in you know actors have come out and said you know we honestly everybody went in blind but i think people behind the scenes really did know like if they pull it off this is going to be huge and i think people really like Mm -hmm. rick carter art director he wanted to be more involved than he was he wrote a whole draft you know it's kind of crazy yeah i just love i think it's kind of mad like this this film has had like a 25 month pre-production which is mind-boggling for something of like uh, for any movie really to kind of have that extended (laughs) period of time trying to figure it all out but a lot of that i guess really comes down to trying to figure out the way to bring dinosaurs to a screen in a way that's going to make people kind of cough up and like go to the movie theaters and see something you're not going to see before and it it's this whole that is the whole element of like jp that really is particularly for the first one it's why it's like that kind of the a Star Wars moment in cinema almost where it is something that is kind of beckoning in a whole new era of filmmaking, really. Yes, he'd kind of had previous work like Leaps and Bounds done by ILM with Cameron on like The Abyss and Terminator 2, but this is kind of the next step. And I I love these kind of like just reading into like the kind of like uh, Spielberg being like, all right, I'm putting together an A team. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing in, like, Stan Winston to create the animatronics. Phil Tippett, uh, who would eventually get credited as Dino Supervisor. And yeah. I love making that joke. <laughs> yeah. He did a terrible job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Phil uh, Tippett's such a dick. And, like, he's initially brought in to create... <laughs> yeah, I was going to come, 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 come to you here, like, because he's 
initially asked to create go motion yeah, dinosaurs yeah. for like the movement and the long shots and then ilm under like dennis Murren's kind of um lead i just initially brought on to like do like digital compositing um so what do you know kind of like uh because i'm right in thinking you've spoken to tippet before uh what what do you get his kind of feelings of this kind of moment in time when it's starting out where he's going in with the idea that his team are going to be making all the dinosaurs and all the movements and then suddenly ilm are like actually we think we could probably do a whole moving dinosaur entirely in cg and make it work what do what do you know about kind of like Tippett's reaction to that? <laughs> <laughs> well, Phil Tippett's an amazing man and a really fun one to yeah. speak to. We spoke to him uh, a few months ago, actually, for the one of the episodes of the show we work on now, and he um, <laughs> he's just so candid. It's uh, like he does. He's nothing but <laughs> candid about the whole situation, about everything. <laughs> he's not a big fan of like <laughs> studios but uh he, he's a great guy and i think at the time i think it honestly um i think it made him depressed i think it, it for a few years i think it really like made him question his career uh, i think it really brought him down yeah. and then but they they ended up utilizing a lot of what he'd done and then he, he created the what was it digital input device kind of dinosaur where they would yeah, basically the create the stop motion device. <laughs> yeah dinosaur input device they would create the stop <laughs> that's one of my favorite would... expressions yeah <laughs> <laughs> it would it would end up somehow in the computer as animation mm. and, and they mm. were they were able to yeah. work with what they post and i think just generally he was involved because i don't know if you've seen any of phil tippett's work outside of um, Jurassic Park, oh, like his own independent works. I mean, not like his Star yeah. Wars or anything. Um, he's done the Mad God series recently, which is a product of his mm-hmm. entire career. It honestly is incredible, like in, such an impressive feat. Oh, for shit! Day. Like 30 years <laughs> in the making, the stop motion. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. I did not make that fucking connection. Jesus uh, Christ. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah it's People, so it's, yeah. It's, it's finally getting magma, a release this magma year, magma isn't opus. it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, that's one of the. Yeah. Oh, it is. Shit. It's imp- it's so. Did not make that connection and... until right now. Thank you, Jack. For yeah, he, he, uh, <laughs> he made before Jurassic Park in the eighties. He made this um, stop motion dinosaur movie, short, like not a long movie. Maybe I think it's about fifteen minutes, but it just shows two dinosaurs in the wild, and then like one gets hunted, um, and it's incredible stop motion. But I think mm-hmm. what's more incredible about it is that his understanding of animals and dinosaurs and how things work, like why they would react the way they would, like why is the dinosaur in this situation in the first place? Phil Tippett understands that, which is obviously why he then ended up being the dinosaur supervisor, um, which is yeah. so fascinating because at the time they cared so much about, well, yeah, but what we've written though like would an animal do this you know like would it work would it happen this way how would people react um and it seems like something that is a little further from what happens now but yeah i think phil phil was still so instrumental in that and and obviously the meme right he let all the dinosaurs out so didn't do his job did he Uh, (laughs) but what a guy but seriously i think it i think it um it didn't help with his like I think it really brought him down and then it made the yeah. line, right? Um, well, yes. Yeah, the... We're out of a job. Don't you mean extinct? Don't you mean don't extinct? Mean extinct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the, the ILM thing, I mean, it's really interesting as well. I think it was Steve Spaz Williams who was the actual guy yes. who made that first animation of a T-Rex, uh, the, the skeleton mm-hmm. of a T-Rex. And it kind of went behind Dennis Muren's back to do it. 
because they weren't allowed to do it. And Kathleen Kennedy was coming in for, I think she was with Spielberg, I can't remember, but she was definitely there in for like an ILM, what they can do. And they kind of turned the screen and played that. And they were like, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. <laughs> There's that st- story of where they inv- like just casually invited her and it was just like, it almost like they, they they were planning to just kind of like casually have this on in the background, like you say. Yeah. And apparently she was just like, what's that? Yeah, yeah. What the hell is that? Like, what's going on? Game changer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really amazing, didn't, right? Didn't Tippett's team all retrain to, to work uh, with oh I did not a lot of the mm. uh, stop motion animators retrain as computer animators so they could keep on working on the project. It would make sense. I'm not sure actually, but that I, I had does read that that case, which yeah. is yeah, which is, which is, least... which is like, it's it's nice they were able to to transition that energy and that creativity and that love for dinos into a different kind of dinosaur input device. Yes, yeah, seriously, right? I mean, and that's the thing as well. Uh, Tippet Studios now still—they have an, uh, their own in-house animation team. They did, uh, they did some work on. I think. Do you remember the Jurassic World ad with Jeff Goldblum driving a jeep? Oh yeah, a couple of years ago, and they had T Rex chasing him and stuff in the jeep, and he looks in the mirror, and it's it just is really great. It was Tippet Studios that did all that, um, and I think yeah, like so. Phil Tippett's still active, still working, and still has his hand in stuff. He wasn't involved with Dominion though, but that kind of makes sense. He told us um, <laughs> he, t- <laughs> he told us that his his stint on Jurassic World was a PR stunt more than anything. <laughs> but it, it makes sense. So many years later, yeah. you know. <laughs> Man, there's so many things I want to ask you about this kind of backstage minutia, but I feel like it's not stuff you can really say on mic. Um, <laughs> without yeah. risk of, of rustling feathers, but shit, we should do this again without the microphones involved. <laughs> it's juicy gossip. It, it's certainly um, there's certainly cool stuff behind the scenes. I think um, for me, like the most exciting stuff is is Jurassic Park 3's production because that's just crazy. Well, and, I mean, um, we haven't really like mentioned it on the podcast before, but all three of us are big Joe Johnston boys, aren't we? I mean, that's one of the things that, <laughs> yeah. that I bonded with you about, Jack, when I first go, met you. Go to set for Joe. <laughs> Joe Johnston team. Who, um, the, o- the OG JJ. <laughs> Where in the world is Joe Johnston? That's the real question, though. That's the documentary <laughs> that we should make with our, with our rambling money. <laughs> yeah. Well, the end goal shouldn't be Spielberg. It should be Joe Johnston, right? It should be Joe Johnston. Kind of, yeah. It's like those workmen auteurs that live in Spielberg's shadow. Like I'm talking Joe Johnston, I'm talking Brad Silberling. You know, these are the mm. guys that I'm interested in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joe Johnston's got such an interesting career, though. Uh, he's supposed to yeah. be... What's Shrunk. Shrunk. Oh, shit. Yeah, I think, yes. I think he's still on that. Did it it's gonna bring filming again though? Or yeah, I don't think it has. Mm. I think that was one that got kind of when COVID happened. It just seemed to have dialed down a bit. But hopefully, once yeah, because you know, I remember seems to be. we uh, we I spoke with um, the cinematographer Shelley, right? Who did it's Shelley Johnson who did the cinematography? Oh, yeah, Shelley Johnson. Yeah, and he said he said he was like, oh, we we were just getting on set, ready to film Shrunk. COVID happened and the studio did a sort of like every production just pulled back and yeah so I don't know what's happened there but like Honey I Shrunk the Kids was gonna get like the original team back and oh the- mate I know they got Rick Moranis <laughs> Rick fucking Moranis out of retirement for one last, one last little teeny tiny ride what last ride do you reckon he would have got shrunk this time like in the third straight to video <laughs> entry Honey We Shrink <laughs> 
what would they have called it? I mean, I know they were just going to call it Shrunk, but surely they've got to yeah. have a title that's like... You You've know, got to have something if that's a play. Honey! <laughs> honey! What do I do this time? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we we, we got to do this rambling-esque spin-off so we can talk about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids because I love that movie so much. So very much. <laughs> rambling-esque. But anyway, anyway. Rambling-esque. Let's get this Ford uh, Explorer yeah. back on the uh, back on the rail. Yeah, just don't bring it but, up uh, anymore. I would, I would just, it's, it's, it's painful, right? It's a painful moment. <laughs> uh, before ILM and Phil Tippett and everyone could get involved putting the dinosaurs on screen, of course, Spielberg had to shoot the damn thing after over two years in... Uh, pre-production so um i and much of it was shot in hawaii and i believe you've also been to a lot of the on location areas uh, across the island yourself mr delamere i'm very lucky to have been to Kauai and oahu uh it was mostly filmed mm-hmm. in Kauai and obviously hollywood and studios but it was uh, also filmed on oahu it's the famous uh Gallimima scene the only reason they filmed there yeah on that island, they moved island is because there was that huge storm hurricane that just like yeah, wiped hurricane out, Aniki. wiped out the film sets <laughs> and the whole island. Um, so yeah, obviously Hollywood were just concerned about the film sets, but the island was was completely in disarray. So they just moved. They just chose yeah. a different island, and they went to um, Oahu and they filmed at the Kualoa Ranch to do the. So that was originally supposed to be somewhere else entirely. That famous scene with the T Rex, yeah, um, which is great. Yeah, lucky to have been there. And they apparently as well, Spielberg is such an efficient filmmaker. Not like, you know, you hear of these David Fincher f- people that just do, lo- I don't know who he is, but he apparently does loads of takes. <laughs> Spielberg <laughs> is a one take wonder. If he if he knows he got it, he got it, right? He got it. I don't need to get it again. I got it. <laughs> I got it. So, and I think um, he, um, with Jurassic, they, they ended up filming early. They, they wrapped early. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. They wrapped early, which is nuts, up considering it wiped out so much of the schedule. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really good. And I think Sam Jackson as well. I think there's some. I could be yeah. completely wrong here. Okay, I could be completely wrong. But there's been some miss. There's been some new information discovered. So you know how Sam Jackson says, "Oh, he never got to film his death scene because yeah, mm. his death scene was never actually in the script, right?" So he. He wasn't ever really supposed to film his death scene. So when Sam Jackson <laughs> talks about that, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, maybe they were going to film it. Maybe we like, obviously we don't know the final final shooting script, but I do find that interesting. There was definitely supposed to be a scene where you know how she, you know how the arm, the arm oh, falls yeah. on Ellie. Do, do I ever? I mean, this yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> um, the, she also trip. You know, you know how she's stumbling when she's running out. Yeah, she's yeah, hurt she's like you don't know. <laughs> she's supposed to have fallen over his leg. She tripped over his leg and oh, twisted her ankle, right. and that's why she then has that. But they, I guess, they didn't film that scene, and I guess that's why it's not the movie. But I mean, uh, good thing it, it works together somehow. Good Still works. works. <laughs> she yeah. sells the hell out of that, and you understand. I'd be limping too, Laura Dern, if I was in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd definitely be, be struggling to run away. For real, though, as a kid, I always just thought she's just. I mean, I'd be running like an idiot if I was yeah. trying to run away yeah. from a raptor. <laughs> you'd pull something, you'd bang it. I don't know. The raptor yeah. jumps up at the fence and, and it gives her a shock. I, I, it makes sense to me that she's limping. Absolutely. Just running yeah. like yeah. Not the Jurassic World raptor. I always so, twist just... my ankle when I try running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just ever. <laughs> 
Oh man. Yeah. But yeah. Back back to your point. Like it. Wrapped, I've got it here. They wrapped twelve days ahead of schedule in the November of ninety two. That's wild. And then within days. Yeah. And w- within days of that, Michael Kahn, ever the veteran uh, expert that he is, had a rough cut ready to go, um, allowing Spielberg to carry on and go ahead and start shooting Schindler's List in Poland. Mm-hmm. And this is another part of this whole production history that like boggles my mind mm. that while the uh, ILM and Tippett's team are getting to work animating the dinosaurs with like a lot of those scenes taking like oh, like hours to render like I got here like rendering a dinosaur often took two to four hours per frame and the T-Rex in the rain took six hours per frame itself so that's that's so much time to get get these shots to Spielberg who himself was having to monitor it over in Poland while shooting a Holocaust drama and he's even described it himself as like a bipolar experience having to like shoot in the day on Schindler's List and then in the evening kind of like go over on like uh what it would have been the early 90s version of a of a zoom call just to go over <laughs> what everyone had been working on I, on I the dinosaur over that like <laughs> yeah 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 seriously especially because of how how deep and connected he is to the story of Schindler Schindler's List yeah, yeah. Uh, and then being like you know obviously the, it's not like he wasn't enthusiastic for Jurassic it's just a complete life shift right it's his just, emotions yeah. are just oh, not yeah. there anymore the two different then, parts of your brain that it must work sorry that it must work out yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I, yeah, it must have been so tough. Uh, and, and we know that there was, so there was like cartoon, there was a TV show planned after Jurassic Park. There was so much planned that they'd show Spielberg and he'd just be like, I don't want to look, can't be bothered. There was <laughs> yeah. a whole TV show, an animated cartoon, like for kids, Saturday morning cartoons on TV for kids that looks amazing, like yeah. so good. And it never <laughs> happened. The story is. They made the pitch, they made the trailer, and they brought it into Spielberg, and he didn't even want to see it. He, d- he didn't even yeah, watch wow. it. Because he, he, he just was wasn't just... ready for Jurassic milking. Was like, not in that mindset. Yeah. <laughs> so, sad times. But, uh, yeah, it must have been weird. I know that George Lucas did a lot of, um, mm. sort of, like, kind of monitored the whole process. Because, like, particularly they both had invested in the DTS um, digital theatre system, which... Again, where where ILM and Tippett and every and Stan Winston and everyone's kind of working, making these dinosaurs as kind of groundbreaking as they can be. There's also this side of the Jurassic Park, which is equally as groundbreaking, and that is in creating the first digital sound mix and mm. investing in this technology that hadn't been used before to give a real like new experience for surround sound in the cinema. And I, I love hearing that kind of like Gary Ride, Ridestorm's kind of like rydstrom's like really like giddy schoolboy sort of mm. stories of just being like oh i get to play making like all new sound effects and dinosaurs <laughs> and figuring out ways to make this work with this new technology it's always that like that famous story as well of just like spielberg calling him up going like i'm listening to earth wind and fire and the water is vibrating on my, <laughs> oh my, God. my dashboard and then right rydstrom himself figuring out like just pluck a guitar string underneath the dash to get that like vibration going <laughs> they tried so many different things right stuff. and they were so as michael lantieri is mm. the sfx guy and he was trying all these different things and there's that famous bit where he's like He's talking about everything they were going through and he was stressing and they were going to do it. And then at the end of the day, they just strung a guitar string. And it's funny, there's this fan, I guess, spoof uh, of Jurassic parody film called Jurassic People, where 
it's a funny little I don't know if you've seen it Jay but it's these people find the DNA no, canister they find the DNA canister and they all drink one they're like oh let's do it <laughs> and they drink one and they all turn into dinosaurs right and they're running around but it's like this nice little homage parody film um, and in that they, they recreate the cup thing and in the behind the scenes of their movie they're laughing about it and they're like how are we going to drug a guitar string through the cup <laughs> and they found an even simpler way they just you just take a straw and you just blow and it created the exact same ripples <laughs> like 10 years later they're just like boom <laughs> done <laughs> it was so much easier ride strum you didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. bit, bit less cool though bit less cool than a little bit less cool yeah. and then How did less they do money the... just, you know yeah well how did they do the how did they string a guitar string to the mud to get the same effect in the, the t-rex footprint later on I how that did they well. do that maybe it's on like a plate maybe, <laughs> maybe they were blowing maybe they figured out the straw technique by that point <laughs> by that point yeah <laughs> she had a really long straw yeah no actually that is a really good point that's well i mean that's that's got to be vfx right i hope not because yeah. uh... you got you also have a reflection in that, so I yeah, wouldn't be surprised yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Because yeah. it should also point out that two Never other effects that, that like ILM were, like, they did kind of, again, whilst they're doing all this stuff, Revolution Dinosaurs, this is also one of the, like, they're doing, again, kind of wa- water effects in ways they've never done before, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of the effects they were doing. And I also feel that this is the first time that um, a digital face replacement was done on a stump person. Yes! Yeah! With, uh, with Lex, when she's forced through the, yeah. the air vent, yeah, and, and she looks up, yeah. I, that, for some reason, from when I was a kid and I got the DVD box set, and I just scoured the baking of uh, featurettes and stuff, that one little factoid has stuck in my head. I don't know why. Yeah. But yeah, when, when, she, when she looks up when the raptors are clawing at her feet, and it's, uh, yeah... Man, that that scene Strange is so so good when they're crawling away through like yeah. the the vents away from the raptors. <laughs> the tension. That's one of my one of my favorite shots in this whole thing is when the raptors underneath looking up and he's got all the DNA code reflected on oh, it. <laughs> <mate>. like Gattaca, Gattaca. <laughs> so, so honestly, so good. Just the best movie ever made, ever. <laughs> you can end the podcast now. It ends at Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> this could, can you can you cancel? Because for the first time, I think maybe in rambling history, I guess does have a hard out. Can you cancel your previous plans, chance of talk for hours and hours and hours and make a really hard edit for Andy? <laughs> That's it. it super long pod. This one. <laughs> it's true. Though, I super could talk. It'll have to be like. And, and I'll have to be back Two for part the Lost of VHS release. That's, yeah. that's got to happen because mm. arguably a... Lost World's better. So, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Got, it's not better. Got, got to talk about the music and the release of the movie and the cast. And then there's so much. There's so much Jurassic Park. I'm here for it. Jurassic Park is one of the most daunting like IMDb trivia pages. Oh, I've yeah. Seen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Truthfully. <laughs> and um, to kind of go get into kind of the tail end of the production notes parts here um the film was finished on at completely in the can by may 28th 1993 and to kind of coincide with like the 60 million they've already put into the production of this universal used the like kind of drawn out pre-production time to really build a massive marketing campaign and tie in promotions with hundreds and hundreds of products and uh, three separate Sega games for different formats produced for this movie, and they put in like an additional sixty-five million 
dollars into like the marketing campaign for this which nowadays is not is not like you know that's pretty standard business for a blockbuster but back then that's like a substantial amount to be putting into your marketing promotions uh can, can any of you guys remember any kind of like i uh, imagine for us it's more we would be more of the age for lost the lost world, world yeah uh, pr- tie-in and promotion products but is, is there anything you've ever kind of gotten your hands on jack or like from this particular period of like pushing out a lot of the tie-ins and back in 93 i'm actually holding i got sent this the other day the um do you remember oh, where's the it has this weird cover that doesn't stick on it. Remember Tops? Oh, yeah, it's on the shelf in the oh. <laughs> in the gift shop as well in the film. It's like all the original <laughs> gift cards and uh, not gift oh, cards, collector man. cards that came like with the original movie. Um I never collected any of them, but seeing that's amazing. I think um growing up, yeah, you were right. Like I remember going to Legoland and and then at some point we were shopping and I remember seeing a whole end of an aisle i was super young 97 right so i would have been four so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i remember this and i remember see- i remember buying a lost world vehicle and like seeing all the green packaging of the toys and kenna right kenna toy line i think yeah back then. kenna did a lot of the toys for this yeah um i remember that but primarily it was jp3 i don't remember anything on the shelf i was born the year jurassic park came out yeah and we lived in a place that wasn't even that it, it wasn't like you couldn't you wouldn't see movie posters around or you know much merchandise for stuff so no i don't remember any of the jurassic stuff but seeing seeing it now and then like growing up obviously collected some of the original like toy line i had some of the original toys which are kind of crazy now when you look at them in 93 like to this day people if you search for them on ebay they're worth so much money <laughs> it yeah. is crazy i do not doubt that <laughs> they created so much there was tie-ins with everything there was mcdonald's tie-ins um, yeah i remember like wayne's world 2 had a like a whole scene that was like <laughs> yeah of course it did knob. holy shit oh, yeah. that whole like bit <laughs> it's like super jurassic <laughs> weird al had a song uh, he did course, yeah course. what 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 was what was it parodying what was the what was the song that it was taking off I don't even know. I think he, does, he tries the theme tune, I think. <laughs> oh, Jurassic Park. That's right. Weird Al. I wonder if so Daniel that's like the Radcliffe Jurassic Park scary in the dark stuff comes uh, from. <laughs> apparently it's uh, Jimmy Webb's song, MacArthur Park. Oh, MacArthur Park is melting in the dark. All the sweet green icing pouring down. Someone Never left cake it, out in the rain. <laughs> Kate gets left out in the rain and he doesn't think that he can take it because it took so long to bake it and he'll never have that recipe again. Oh no! <laughs> Richard Harris did a version of that song. Which, oh, I, think okay. that's the, I think that's the one it's based on. It's yeah. Richard Harris. Oh version. man. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That okay. We will, uh, we'll, we'll tweet out a link to Richard Harris's version of Because of Park. It's a great song. Drum up hype for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's talk about Jurassic but, Park. Yeah. The the film was finally <laughs> unleashed to the world on June 11th, 1993. So we're nearly coming out around the 29th anniversary. Um, we'll just miss it by a day when this episode com- but, oh, uh, comes out. Uh, <laughs> and it was quickly met with widespread acclaim and big bucks at the box office. Um, I think it was quite interesting, like reading some critics at the time kind of quickly recognizing it as a feat of filmmaking with like Janet Maslin in the New York Times calling it a true movie milestone even at that point but then a lot even 
that review and like Peter Travers of the Rolling Stone kind of like really disregard a lot of the characters with yeah. Travers himself calling them bone dry is one of his exact words. Yeah, that that was a lot of the criticisms, but that didn't really translate into audience reaction because like this film quickly became the biggest uh, release of all time at the time, earning $912.7 million in its initial run. It has since gone on to join the Billion Dollar Club with uh, subsequent re-releases. I think the 3D re-release in like, what, 20... When was that? 2013? 2014? I guess it was, I guess it was 13, 13, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did either of you guys see it in 3D when it was out again? I didn't, actually. Because we'd have been at university, so how can we didn't... Because we, we would have been prime. Don't know. Prime I wasn't really it. into that fad of like um, just 3D conv- yeah. converting a lot <laughs> yeah. of old blockbusters. <laughs> yeah, I remember I did seeing it a lot. It. <laughs> I can't remember where I saw it, but I didn't see it in 3D. I saw the 3D version in 2D because they did do, mm. they released it both. And I was like, I hate 3D. I remember, Jay, mm. we went to see Avatar in 3D and we nearly walked out. Do you remember we... Yeah, <laughs> we painted our faces blue. <laughs> Are you going to do that again? Uh, this, uh, this, this Where the water, baby! Absolutely. Absolutely. Where the water! James Cameron gets wet again, guys! It's been a while. <laughs> well, are, you guys, um, are you guys excited for that? you think it looks good? Oh, fucking yeah. yes, I'm, man! I'm, I'm, very, yes. I'm just excited for James Cameron to have made something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been too long, right? I think, I think people far have forgotten... Too long. People have forgotten like Avatar and the impact it made, and now they're just like, yeah, who wants yeah. another Avatar? But like, I, I, I'm down for another Avatar, and I, I feel like this is going to yeah. be Avatar One. You know, I feel like it's going to yeah, feel like re- Avatar yeah. One. <laughs> the um, <Definitely. laughs> the I really get that. <laughs> the film critic David Simmons has got a thing where he says, uh, I, I, I don't feel like I need four more Avatar films, but if James Cameron says that I does, that I do, <laughs> then I do, I do. <laughs> Who am I to disagree? <laughs> especially if how rare if, is that? Eh? Especially like if he takes yeah. the is essentially taking the first one and submerging it, and that's all I need in a film. Just give me some submerged sets. <laughs> yeah. Just you put it underwater and you get yourself a sequel. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we've got to talk the abyss. By the way, Andy, I finally watched it the other day. It's great. <laughs> anyway, Jurassic um, Park. We're getting uh, so yeah, excited. We're, we're getting Park. so excited. It's like we've drunk too much lemonade. Went into Avatar. Oh, it was me that derailed it, though. Um, we were talking about. Uh, we were talking about it the 2013 all the time, release. Yeah. Um, I saw it in 2D, and I remember watching it for the first time in cinemas in 2013. And they remixed the sound, and I heard things in Jurassic Park that I'd never heard before. I heard voices, oh, beat, cool. background actors, oh, and just nice. just sounds that I had never attributed to the film before. And like you know, when you grow up and you don't stop watching something, it's in your like the sounds yeah. of Jurassic it's Park embedded. movie are in my head. Like it's in yeah. your bones, man. Yeah, it's in my bones, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's see, great, in yeah. 2013, it, it absolutely just uh, just was a whole new movie again and um mm. yeah if it, i remember they only released it in the uk and certain regions they didn't re-release it in the us um for some That's obscure reasons. <laughs> yeah, so we were lucky still did that. enough to push it to the billion dollar club oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. just for inflation you know yeah <laughs> um yeah. We should also note that it went on to win uh, all three of the Academy Awards, of which it was nominated for, including Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Mixing and Best Visual Effects, all which are components which 
hold up to this day. Gee, the lack of humility before nature that's being displayed here um, staggers me. Well, thank you, Dr. Malcolm, but I think things are a little bit different than you and I had feared. Yeah, I know. They're a lot worse. Now, wait a second. Now, we haven't even seen the part we're in the field. Donald, Donald, let him talk. There's no reason. No, no, I want to hear every viewpoint. I really do. Yeah, yeah. don't you see the danger, uh, John, inherent uh, in what you're doing here? Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a, a kid that's found his dad's gun. It's hardly appropriate to start hurling generalizations. If I may. Um, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're that you're using here. Uh, it didn't require any discipline to attain it. You know, you read what others had done, and you and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it? Well. I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. But uh, to, to kind of double back a little bit, to go to these points that um, some of the critics at the time were saying about it, and particularly in terms of the character, mm. um, people talk a lot about like Jurassic Park and how well it is aged still in terms of how, how it looks and the kind of tempo of it and how it's still modern blockbusters still very much use this as a template of how you should kind of pace a film of this kind of caliber and scale. But um, I think an element of it that is aged even maybe arguably even more is the, is the character side of things. And it, it kind of, it kind of threw me a bit to read that. Like at the time people yeah. were saying it was really di- two dimensional. Cause I, I think particularly a lot of the stuff that like David Kurt brings to it are these like kind of little, changes to kind of dynamics from the book even or just like adding a lot more wit to that is that isn't necessarily there in Crichton's book and just kind of works better mm. on a kind of a visual medium so what 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 are your guys kind of feelings towards the, those sort of comments like reading those sort of comments from the time about those performances let's start with you Jack I um <coughs> you've got to think as well at the time they hadn't seen something to this scale, right? So those journalists mm. or, or mm. film reviewers, critics, um, pr- probably just so incredibly mesmerized and their attention completely derailed by just what they were seeing that they probably thought, those char- were the characters even in it? You know, like, were those people even <laughs> in it? You know, did they do anything? But yeah, when you watch Jurassic Park, of course, those characters have complete arcs, some of them. Sam Neill's character, yeah. like Dr. Alan Grant. Like, mm-hmm. it's a real simple story, but like, it comes full circle for him. And I think that's something that's um, often overlooked in, in, in the movie. Yeah. Like you said, that every character feels like they're at least on some sort of journey. And mm. I don't, I don't think you could call them two dimensional. Not quite. Yeah. Um, it's certainly not. Crucially, a, their a, personality is the main thing for me. It, it, yeah. It is. Personality. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think we've spoken about it in, in relation to E.T. In, in the past and other Spielberg since then. It, and, and uh, like Jaws, Close Encounters. It's that kind of messy humanism that, that Spielberg brings to things. And the characters almost spill out of their archetypes. And they don't quite fit into these neat boxes. And such a big part of that. I guess is his looseness with actors as a director. He's, he's a, a guy who clearly understands how to make actors feel comfortable, but also it's casting the right people to do the job, and it's it's, it's casting people that have a very distinct flavour and bring a certain mm. texture. Mm. And like casting and 
an esoteric Kiwi as the protagonist in the film. Casting <laughs> Laura Dern fresh off two lynchers as, yeah. as you know, as as the uh, arguable co-lead. Casting uh, Jeff Goldblum, who beat out Jim Carrey as as your sort of smarmy, yeah. <laughs> cheeky, almost antagonist, like, sexual antagonist. It's just casting and like wait, even Wayne Knight as Nedry, Sam Jackson. You know, as as um, uh, sorry, I forget the character's name. Arnold. As Arnold, Doctor Arnold. Arnold. Yeah, <laughs> even Bob Peckers Muldoon. Like, the, you just cast the right people, and you don't need to spell out who they are and what they do. They just they they have a certain. I'm doing a lot of hand gestures, which is no good for a podcast. They just bring a certain. <laughs> it's like it's like crags in a face. They tell a story in themselves, and these actors mm. and the weird texture and the weird energy they have, the way they play a scene. It just says so much about this wealth of character backstory, and uh, yeah, it, it seems way off the mark for critics to to call it. <laughs> and I, I have got to point out that that good old good old reliable sight and sound put out by our beloved BFI, we're on the right side of history with this. They said that the complaints over <laughs> Jurassic Park's lack of story and character sound a little off the point. So shout out there to Harry Sheehan for Sight and Sound back in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> he must have seen it maybe 10 times and been like, no, there are characters in this. I you know, know what? No, there no, are. No, they are here. <laughs> and they've got story. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it is an interesting one. And I think, mm. um, yeah, who's your favorite character in Jurassic Park? Because it's, everybody's different. Yeah. There's no, there's no mm. main, right? Either. Like there are main yeah. characters, but it's like, quite an who's the main yeah, character? Yeah, yeah. They, so, they, they all do have they all have complete arcs and they all have but you feel like they all exist independently of each other even though someone like Sattler it, it, I mean there, there is the whole debate as to whether she and Grant really are a couple but like, assuming they are the whole thing is she wants kids and he doesn't even though she's enjoying watching him squirm when he's faced with kids and you know going through his arc of accepting the you know the, the the natural evolution to wanting to have kids she's got her own thing going on like that's that's adjacent to her she isn't tied to that arc they've all got their own little yeah. things going on like she's off there searching dino shit to try and fix the uh the, <laughs> the, the unwell dinosaur it's just really nice how everyone's got these really sort of uh independent lives and existences that you really feel um but shit, I don't know. To mm. pick a best one, I, I, I do feel like one of my the, one of the, the biggest uh, endorphin rushes for me is watching Wayne Knight's joy when um, <laughs> when he sees the, the shaven phone canister for the first time oh, did, and the delight. Weird high pitched. <laughs> <laughs> he in that scene is so so great. I think I do think it might be Dennis Nedry. He plays that character so so well. The sort of the <laughs> anxiety trying to break out of his skin almost. It's brilliant. It's so. It really is. I just <laughs> love that kind of old backstory for him as well, where he's just like just someone who is like really just trying to bid for a job, and then realise he like drastically underbid for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just he's trying to recoup like, oh, his losses. Shit, he's like so much work. <laughs> yeah, I'll do some shady espionage, get my cash up, and then I'll be loyal. You know, and yeah. <laughs> one of my favourite parts about Thanks, Wade Dad. Knight's casting is that Steven Spielberg cast Wade Knight after seeing him in Basic Instinct, and it's so funny to. <laughs> Imagine Steven Spielberg watching Basic Instinct with uh, with Kate Capshaw, I guess. Yeah, give me that sweaty guy. <laughs> Seriously, and Seinfeld too. Like 
Oh, I, I'd yeah, never have picked Newman. him, right? You'd never have think like, oh, Newman would be great in like a yeah, Spielberg yeah. movie about a dinosaur island. Like, you'd never <laughs> think that would work. But god damn it does. <laughs> Dude had a rock and solid he's the, 90s. He's got the best death scene as well. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which is even worse in the novel. Oh yeah, like that he's like properly holding his intestines holding his guts up in his hand and then what? <laughs> it's like Nedry feels he... something warm and it's like, it's like, oh, no. it's like, oh my As god. The, like the venom starts numbing him and he's just aware of this thing just like oh. going at him on the nose. Oh. <laughs> brutal. They, do, they do set that up in the film, but it doesn't really pay off in grisly detail it's just i guess you, you're you're aware of what must oh, be happening it's very grisly <laughs> but who, who when, are your favorite they... characters you guys yeah jay who's yours i think it's i think it's grant uh, like and my profile picture on twitter has been me dressed as sam neil for a long time but <laughs> <laughs> i i think you could possibly put it towards kind of like main character bias because he is the one who is given the most rounded arc in the whole thing yeah but um i think a lot of that kind of boils down to being the kind of like dino mad kid that i was like back when i first saw this movie and like be it like around this time that i either saw this or land four time first i definitely definitely saw land before time before i saw this but the kind of notion of like being like i'm really into dinosaurs maybe i want to do what this guy does on screen and, and i was just really into that idea of studying dinosaurs and then when i got watched apollo 13 i really wanted to be an astronaut and then it soon <laughs> dawned on me and i was like wait i just really like movies <laughs> <laughs> maybe i want to be a movie maybe that's what <laughs> <laughs> i just want to be one of them movies it <laughs> doesn't make sense andrew shut up mom <laughs> i'm gonna be a movie i'm gonna do it <laughs> oh. but I, I just kind of like that kind of like Yes, you can kind of picture like a lot of the names kind of around this with like Harrison Ford was a name initially in the mix, and you Kurt Russell asked for apparently like an extreme amount of money for it, so they're like, actually no, we need that money for (laughs) the visual bits that we're doing. So they do go for essentially what is the cheaper option with Sam Neill, but like Sam Neill's got such like a world weariness to to him in anything that Mm. he just comes across as very endearing from the off. And uh, I, 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 he's, it's a really like one of those quintessential 90s performances for me of that kind of like guys thrust into, and, and the kind of archetypal Spielberg hero as well. The guy's just kind of thrust mm. into a position where he has to be like, ah, oh, all right, okay, here we go. I mean, that's really Spielberg's thing, isn't it? An, an ordinary yeah, man stepping up. in an extraordinary <laughs> yes. situation. That's the Spielberg. Yeah sort of basic thing and he does that with all of uh, well a lot of his movies um jurassic park is that uh but yeah i think like growing up i think i love tim because i was a little kid right i loved yeah i was timmy i was running around the dinosaur (laughs) island and then i love grant and then i love malcolm because i'm a teenager and he's more cynical and it's funny you know (laughs) and then i love muldoon i think is one of the greatest characters muldoon's such a great character that guy fucks yeah he's and his legs man he's told them to put mechanisms on the doors (laughs) i'm jealous of his legs I, I, I feel yeah. like he almost gets because it, it's the most visceral death. I do feel like his death in the film is perhaps the most grisly, and it's all. Mm. Every time I mm. watch the film, I always think, I really hope Muldoon makes it. I hope he can turn the gun around in time <laughs> this time. Yeah, because it really, he really. He sucks. doesn't die in the. 
He's someone who doesn't die in the really? book. There's quite a few changes like that where they change up certain fates. Yeah. And another big one with that is like uh, John Hammond, who I think is a very interesting character, particularly yeah. in relation to where he's ended up from page to screen. Because mm. um, in the book, he's this megalomaniac who's like really got like doesn't give a shit about his grandkids being in this park and he's just like never learns the lesson of like you've just really like you've cut too many corners and like and it's similar sort of warnings that are given to the character in the film are just being like you stood on the shoulders of other people's achievements uh, and now you're yeah. taking the credit yeah yeah, yeah, and, it, yeah. But, and like and in the film he d- does kind of come to his senses a bit and he and because you've got richard attenbury is this more kind of like cuddly showman Mm. Matt, like in the figure, but in the book he's a right bastard, and, yeah. it, and he gets like he gets a nasty death with the compies going at him. But that's it, a great but, um, death, great death, like walking yeah. out into yeah. his creation and just yeah. It's, just, it's one of those things that happens quite a bit with Spielberg is that he just sees too much of himself in the character, so can't bring himself to condemn him like Crichton yeah. did, and by his own admission, like he <laughs> sympathizes with the with the the flea circus entertainer that he sees Hammond as. I mean, mm. that's and that scene where he's talking to Ellie. That's yeah. my favorite scene in the movie. Is it just yeah. so? I don't know. It's just so. It summarizes the whole thing, and it really is like his defining moment as a character. Mm. The, the realization, like, it's just before, it's the third act, right? Just the next before, time. right there. <laughs> yeah, it just says so much yeah. about him and about the movie and about Ellie. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's just a brilliant scene like that. Yeah, mm. to watch to watch Jurassic Park and say i get it was different at the time but to say yeah all oh, these characters are so 2d like you must yeah. have walked out it's during wild. that bit at least <laughs> all the conversation <laughs> around the table like oh the dude, amount yeah. of okay. information shall we shall too. we get into how many movies like 40 minutes in after you've just seen this incredible cgi spectacle like slam the brakes on and spend 10 <laughs> minutes getting into the theological the existential philosophical yeah. conundrums that are associated with and it's so eloquently done as well it's so every character so is so good at expressing their problems with it and the film doesn't really shy away from almost what it's complicit in i mean not 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 really but it's kind of it, it i don't know it, it it sort of chimes in with a lot of what america's about and it's quite a a vicious look at that exploitational bent that a lot of capitalist enterprise is based around and uh, I don't know I mean the film does have its cake and eat it too because we spoke about how much money was spent on corporate tie-ins for the movie but at the same time (laughs) the fact that he dedicates a chunk of time Uh, to get into this you're selling it (laughs) it's just really impressive and that's maybe my favourite scene actually when they're sitting around the table just Mm. talking about you know you're you're, you're fucking with nature essentially like uh, I'm staggered at and the just the way it's shot as well with here. like the yeah. slideshow, yeah, yeah, the yeah. slideshow light projectors kind of going. I love how that scene looks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just incredible. It is, it is an incredible scene, and and the way it's shot as well, Dean Cundey, like you said, with the projection lights and everything behind them. But the way he shoots that scene, uh, you don't see Sam Neill's character until a few lines before he actually talks. Right, so the conversation mm. is between Ellie and Gro- uh, Ellie and um, <laughs> Rich Attenborough, uh, John Hammond. Right, <laughs> sorry, Hammond. I don't know the movie too well. I forget the character <laughs> names. Um, <laughs> it's a little film called Jurassic uh, Park, Jack. I don't know if you've <laughs> Jurassic Jack. Uh, yeah, so he's discussing things with 
with them and you don't see Grant and then you slowly, the camera starts sort of widening a bit. You start seeing Grant in the shot, in the background, paying attention to this conversation. So the blue character who's got this blue shirt on is suddenly becoming part of this conversation. It goes back and forth and you get more of him and then he's in and he starts talking and it just, you don't notice it. It's so fluid, yeah. but it's why it works because the way they cut that together, yeah. the way Michael Kahn cut it, the way Spielberg and Dean Cundey shot it, like it just... It's so perfect. And all it is is a table conversation. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it means so much. It meant so much through the whole franchise. To this day, like Colin Trevorrow talks about those quotes, what they're saying yeah. about the, the whole thing there. It's like still influencing the movie today. So yeah, damn right it's your yeah. favorite scene. Of course it is. It yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, I, 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 this like the, the before you even knew what you had, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox. It's, yeah, it's, it's so tasty, it's so purple and tasty, but it doesn't feel show-offy or wanky. The, in, the way the scene's no. presented and the way the performances are modulated in that scene. And like you say... It's modest, the, it's pulled back, it's, yeah, reserved almost. It's just, yeah. my God. That, 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 yeah. Whenever I watch it, and I, again, and I get to that point, that's why I think, fuck, this is why Spielberg is the, is the best of what he does. And this is why this movie is one of the, one of the best of all time, because... Yeah. shit like this because it can pull this thing and it can still seem surprising and almost shocking now almost 30 years on almost 30 years on holy cow wow 30 years next year <laughs> next year boys <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what's funny about the plastic lunchbox is, is just before that scene well at the opening of the scene with Ellie and um, John Hammond towards the end of the movie when they're sitting eating the ice cream yeah um, the opening shots on a plastic lunchbox with Jurassic Park on yeah it. yeah yeah, and yeah. The <laughs> and it's kind of like a kind of a kind of Ozymandias quality to that scene he's scanning over this broken empire of, 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 of mm. you know useless merchandise eating all that ice, yeah, ice cream yeah. before it melts and <laughs> gets the look, powers off look upon <laughs> my merchandise ye mighty in despair spent no expense while he's like trying to eat the <laughs> It's sad, but it's it's it needed to happen. It's so good. That's why, it was, yeah, such a good movie, man. Christ, really yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you? I sent Jay. I'm not sure if it made its way to you, Josh, <gasps> but, um, yeah. The open map version. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I didn't get a chance to. Uh, I I didn't. I, I had quite a boozy jubilee weekend, so I spent more of it. Uh, not <laughs> in a great. Queen. Yeah, got you, whatever, whatever. Abolish the monarchy. Yeah, I didn't really. <laughs> so now I think it's something I do want to watch. Yeah, nom nom nom. Uh, but no, and Andy was telling me the experience of watching it and the way the colours burst in a way they haven't quite on home releases in the past. It does sound very, very tempting to watch. It's a fascinating it's very nice and watch. textured. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, the team that are putting it together are very, very talented people. They're putting a lot of money and a lot of work into doing it. And they, uh, I don't understand, like, it's such a weird thing. The movie was never intended to be seen this way. Never intended to be seen yeah. this yeah. wide. That's just how those cameras work, how the sensors work. Yeah. It's always supposed to be cropped that way. But like as a fan and just like I'm like I have to see the movie this way I have to see so, all this extra detail yeah because, because I haven't seen it yet and for the listeners who might not be able to envision it what, what does it entail What what is this thing what is this map uh, yeah. restoration so open map print open my map. understanding of it is that the, the old cameras the 35mm cameras that used to film uh, they used to film Jurassic Park uh, the sensor is a square basically right the yeah. sensor in the camera that actually takes the light and the information that records the image um the lenses they they didn't use anamorphic lenses on jurassic so the the picture wasn't squished to the mm. cinema crop 
that it usually is. So that whole frame, that whole square is technically filmed the entire way through Jurassic Park. They filmed the whole square as opposed to sort of like the crop down version yeah. that we see in the final movie. So this open map version, you see the whole frame extended top and bottom of Jurassic Park, except for any visual effect shot with a dinosaur in it because obviously yeah, the ILM have to render each frame the... so they're like whoa no we need to there's no it's point like, rendering the whole yeah, thing like the reverse IMAX see... experience yes exactly exactly <laughs> that um, you can and you, you can see crew, like sometimes you can see like I guess crew members yeah the feet. boom mics in you can see <laughs> boom mics you can see lights but sometimes you just get a wider frame when yeah. they're flying and they're filming yeah. the helicopter approaching oh. the island you can see the top that of really the threw me that one yeah and you're just like wow just <laughs> It's just amazing to watch. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's just something so fascinating about it. And because it's coming from the original film print, you're not... And, and that's what the team are doing. They're, restor- mm. they're restoring it, you know? And like, if, I don't know if you remember yeah. seeing that Jaws restoration that Universal went through. Obviously, this team isn't actually doing it to the extent of that because they don't have the, mm. the reels like that. But they're cleaning it up frame by frame. And it's yeah. uh, pretty intense work. And like you, you can't, you guys agree watching film, something that's actually shot on film, and it still looks like it's film. We yeah. used to go to the cinema, and it used to just there'd be it, blips and blackouts. Mad, and dust. yeah. The crackle like this. I the, miss that. The thing you're watching is alive yeah, and volatile, and 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 there's just something. Yeah, I, I've been lucky enough to see a couple of um, couple of films recently. The I, I was I was about to mention the BFI again and say I'm not on the payroll. Don't worry. But I, I literally I was am. Say, yeah. I, I, <laughs> you literally are. I, am, I, I, I work for them, but I've seen a few. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> but um, I've seen a few films recently uh, on 35 mil, and they're not films that I would write a home about particularly. Some sort of uh, lesser new French extremity entries, but still, there's something about seeing this this crackly, scratch to pieces thing that only ever diminishes with time. This thing's alive, and it's crackling in a way mm. that. The, yeah, it, it's there's just something about seeing something that has a life of its own, and you're right. We used to see that up until the mid noughties perhaps. That was our standard experience in the cinema, and uh, and and now it's really hard to imagine expecting that, expecting mm. to see mm. that that particular glow and the the that nice sort of timber popping of the image. Yeah, the and popping. I think yeah. yeah, I think if you if you showed. Uh... Like for example, if a Marvel movie now had been shot in film, and uh, this isn't a critique of Marvel movies, but if a Marvel movie had been shot in film and and they showed it the way that we would have seen a movie back then mm. to a modern audience, everybody would be trying to get their money back because they would feel what the hell yeah. is going on because it's so yeah. different now to how movies are. And like every Marvel movie is so clean when you see it, yeah. but honestly, and whilst going to the cinema still is incredible you can't beat like going to the Prince Charles and seeing yeah. an original yeah. film print of something. I was about to say, we did that double for JP and the Lost World a few oh years ago because they, yeah. they they get their 35, they've got the 35, or at least had, get them every Oof. now and again of those two films. So always do keep, I haven't seen that double for a while, but I always keep in That was a good double. double man. <laughs> seeing the Lost World yeah. in cinema, but as an oh original film print, I died. I was yeah. dying the whole time. I lost <laughs> life. <laughs> Even seeing the last film, our uni, Andy, they, for some reason, they were sitting on a 35mm print of The Core, 2002's uh, (laughs) Flopbuster of The Core. But even, I I never got the chance to see that on the big screen in 35mm, but I 
I, they had a lot of I random would love things to. on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be some theatres out there that still do that, right? That yeah. still, st- like Prince yeah. Charles, we know does it, but it yeah. gets those original prints because film buffs and movie lovers yeah. and just people that experienced the cinema in the nineties. Mm. Like, I ah. think it, it goes back to, yeah. to 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 John Hammond's uh, flea circus thing. That there is, you, you do get a sense of the pure alchemy that creates the moving image when you see something on film. You see like that kind of soft glow and the flicker, and you realize yeah. the science that underpins it and it really I feel like it's more tapped in to that sense of wonder that is implicit within yeah. cinema as a, as a medium uh, you know and, and there are some gorgeous digital films it's, it's not a, a, a rant against that it really isn't it's just it's an appreciation of what film offered and offers when you're lucky enough to be able to catch it and yeah it feels oddly on a piece with this particularly film. yeah yeah I think particularly when you look at uh, what Jurassic Park is doing with it with bringing dinosaurs to life on screen what you're seeing is a combination of a number of different artists winston's workshop ilm tippet all coming together to make the blend from seeing something that's been a that is a cg creation Mm. that then blends into an animatronic that then keeps going back and forth between the two puppetry and cg imagery and having to find a way to really commit to making those look seamless and make that make the audience not notice the blend and the switch and and this film compared to like particularly what like this franchise and other franchises are doing now it's never really been better than at this point part of that you could put towards just how much more tactile and earthy and like much more dimension shooting something on film has but like it even just kind of speaks to that kind of trend of moving away from like kind of trying to marry those numerous techniques together to make them blend that there's a effort here to make make these elements blend yeah. but now when you're concentrating predominantly in one form to present these creatures which is now cgi you lose that uh you do lose the tactility i think yeah and i think that kind of speaks to like particularly my main issue of like a lot of uh uh, particularly with this franchise as well, that 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 kind of loss of kind of like tactile feeling, which I really attribute to particularly this one and the second one of just how how much they really feel like something is coming to life, and that it is it is just something that's just genuinely been a bit lost in a lot of blockbuster mm. cinema. Yeah, and I think obviously Jurassic Park was a turning point for VFX. So they, they were putting that money into it at the time, but they didn't know that it was going to pay off, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So once it paid off and everybody wanted a part of that, now a studio doesn't want to spend millions on VFX and then have it cast in shadow in the movie. But the problem is when we're seeing all these extraordinary alien starships and crazy VFX like cities collapsing yeah, around us yeah. in broad daylight, sunny daylight that we're flying through, like what perspective in real life would I ever see this? Like, this is never what I'm going to see. So it's hard for me to yeah. believe it, even though it looks so real yeah. and it's the best VFX it could ever be. You're not even trying yeah. at this point to put it in a real environment that I'm going to see. So like, yeah, that's why Jurassic Park worked. All the dinosaurs were dark. Yeah. And when they yeah. weren't, they were either far yeah. away or they were in a fast moving herd that you didn't see that for very long it just is so good at blending and choosing when to show the dinosaurs like color of the dinosaur 
the triceratops right the sick oh, triceratops yeah underneath the brownie orange color it has it's completely different skin it's got grays and blues and they covered it in the environment of hawaii completely covered stan winston's choice he was like cover this thing up animals rhinoceroses like they're covered in the environment that they yeah. live in so why would the triceratops be nice and clean yeah, lying yeah. down so they like and people think it's a brown triceratops yeah. it's not and yeah. it's such a funny little thing it's like they, muddy they cared about that and they <laughs> yeah. married the two like you said like JP3 is probably the best example of Stan Winston Studios yeah, at their best and ILM well. at their best. The two coming together. There's shots in that movie where there's animatronics stood there with VFX and you couldn't, you just couldn't pick it apart. Um, I think nowadays they have like the best of the best, but they're putting it in bright sunlight in the middle of Malta city yeah. streets, like yeah. 10 dinosaurs, like big dinosaurs. It's just like, how <laughs> am I supposed to even think this is real? I've never seen anything that big standing in Malta before, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's like VFX has gotten so much better, but they've lost it's, the uh, way of, the tact of using it. Lost the grounding. It's a, it's, yeah. it's a T-Rex that's escaped the pen. And it's that, spiel, that particular Spielberg thing that so many have tried to recapture it. It's just the ability to know exactly when to show your hand. He's so good at cranking it up and, and, and like intriguing you. Because this film, I'd love to watch this film not, like kind of like with Back to the Future, not knowing what the central premise is. And just, just and the moment when Grant and Sattler see the dinosaurs for the first time and the look on their faces i would love to experience that with them because even now watching it for the you know, 25th 30th time you still feel that like thump in your chest when when it shows their yeah. reaction shots and then it cuts to what might be the most explicit cgi shot in the film it's the the herd <laughs> of um is it the bron- bronchi bronchiosauruses Get out, Brachiosaurus. Brachiosaurus. Well, I. <laughs> but it's yeah, but 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 yeah, no, Brachi- the the Brachiosaurus. Excuse, excuse me. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, mum. Sorry, dad. Sorry, Her Majesty. Your Majesty. two mistakes now. Uh, <laughs> Three and you're out. <laughs> but it, 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 I feel like nowadays, like you say, because they can do anything and everything. I don't want to sound too again too much like an old fart, but there seems to be only 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 certain filmmakers are able to or willing to put the time in to build up the sense of anticipation and payoff and this is one of the reasons not to get stuck on this hill andy that i love garth edwards godzilla so much because i feel like that does that not to this level (laughs) but it still puts the time in to get you revved up and tease you whereas in 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 a lot of the marvel films you start at 11 and where can you go from there when you need that extra push over the hill where can you go where can you go yeah (laughs) <laughs> that's so, such a good point man yeah I, jesus spielberg is just is, is just the man uh, one of the many four reasons spielberg is the best is is just his mastery of knowing how to to sort of tickle the audience in the right places and, and get them to the, the point yeah. where when he reveals it it's the perfect time and place to reveal it and i don't think he's yeah. lost that even now i don't think he's lost that even with something like west side story there are certain shifts and modulations in that that just blow you away in a very different way to I, um, Park, but I've yet to see that but I have to admit Spielberg for me he's definitely changed as a filmmaker mm, he's mm-hmm. matured a lot which isn't mm-hmm. necessarily a, a good thing I, I, my favourite Spielberg I think all of our favourite Spielberg movies are the ones we're discussing right the Close Encounters Jaws like the, those are the Spielberg movies that I, I really like hold close yeah. um, a- anything he's made sort of 2000 five onwards like 
they're great movies. You can't really fault them. There's just no, uh, they just don't feel the same to me. There's no sort of like whimsical, mm. like it doesn't feel like a whimsical. It's more of a darkness. We'll, we'll get yeah, there. yeah. I think this is the fulcrum. This is the fulcrum year for Spielberg, and and this is one half of what Spielberg. It's kind of like um. It's the Scorsese, Wolf of Wall Street, Silence one two, and and this is Spielberg has that in one year. It's both sides of who he is as a filmmaker, it's kind of split in two and presented in their glory simultaneously. And mm. uh, the rest of the nineties mm. is a bit strange for him, but I love his early noughties stuff. I love like AI and Minority Report and War of the Worlds, yeah. that dark paranoia that oh that War he of the works Worlds, into his sense of scale and wonder. It's incredible. And like you say, you are right. That innocence and that kind of guilelessness is gone. But I, I do very much enjoy the uncertainty that kind of replaces it. Like it's really, he works through that in a really exciting, interesting way later on in his career. Yeah, I guess mm. I just, I guess I just, with the Spielberg thing, I just put it to like the po- uh Was it the post? Mm-hmm. No, which is the one with the guy who played- The post is the... Watergate one. No, no, no. Okay, um, yeah. No, sorry, not that one. The the one he did before that. No, no. Ready Player the one? one with the. No, the one... no, that was awful. <laughs> Bridge of Spies. <laughs> Bridge of Spies. Yes. Bridge of Spies. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, yeah. so good, so well made, and yeah. so it was just brilliant. But like, I probably won't watch it again. I also get what you're kind of saying on the fact that like. It doesn't feel I like what a Spielberg. You kind of define what, is, uh, what feels like a Spielberg is kind of changed because I'd say he's more like of a dramatist now, and I, I do I probably prefer those kind of movies now where he is kind of being a bit more of a kind of almost like kind of like a, an historical memoir memoirist, almost yeah. like kind of like taking these little pockets of history, mm. some of which he might have lived through, and some or some of which he's just been fascinated with. Um, as he's as he's grown up in the in the world, I certainly prefer those kind of like the Post and Bridge of Spies and West Side to an extent over the likes of something like Wars. Ready Player One because that 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 feels like a bit more like he's trying to like regurgitate a yeah. sort of commercial Spielberg that he's not really that bothered with himself being anymore. If that makes any sense, <laughs> yeah, that was a really weird film i i just i I just didn't understand why that was a spielberg he dropped interstellar for this like you know what i mean like we could have had a spielberg interstellar yeah although would have been awesome nolan's was great i love the nolan yeah i mean that's i cried in the cinema oh yeah (laughs) talking before i was with you jay we were in the imax i think we Mm -hmm. watched interstellar yeah, not to give the BFI another plug, but we were in the BFI IMAX. <laughs> One of our nation's finest Midnight institutions. <laughs> we were sat far too close and it was very overwhelming. Oh, yeah, very overwhelming. I remember at one point, it must be like halfway through, we looked at each other and we were both just like red eyed, just like, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> it's very loud. Yeah, that on on, on that note, on this on the idea of being overwhelmed by the spectacle you're seeing, and, and there, there is a certain kind of cry that comes with just seeing a film really click and really work and just being yeah. almost overjoyed to witness it occurring. Do you guys have any of that with this film? Are there any moments that, that bring that out of you with this film? Um, yeah, I mean I think it's funny actually. I can put on Jurassic Park. Um, I played it. I had it on like in the house when I sent Jay the open mat. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll press play on that. Yeah, um, yeah. 
I just find myself at some point during the day, I find myself sat at the TV watching like, and I don't remember how I got there or at which point I sat down, but I'm suddenly now watching Jurassic Park because yeah. it's just, if it's on and if it's begun and if the sounds are there and if the movie, like I'll just gravitate towards yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It just pulls me in and it makes me, I think, I must just feel like a child again or something because <laughs> it just can just captivate me and and take it in. But that's the whole movie, you know. Um, it is. I can't really. Yeah, I couldn't really pinpoint any particular moment. I know that as a kid, I um, the scene with Dennis Nedry's death. I used to fast forward because My I was so God. scared. That's the scariest <laughs> dinosaur. Scary. That's the scariest it is dinosaur. Scary horrible little thing yep. and it's not real right it's, isn't it a, isn't it a, a, a fictional dinosaur yeah that one was uh, so yeah, that one yeah was made the up. species <laughs> is real the right. oh, the design of it is but it's right. unknown if it actually had a frill because it it was Jesus. found they yeah. don't know a frill would have been just uh, yeah that's the first thing to, to yeah to, to go yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so one they my, don't know and they some also of my don't favorite sound effects of that guy that scene is great though it drops down from the tree right it's really yeah yeah it kind of gets me that it's kind of cute for the first few beats it's kind of it's kind of like a cat my my cat keeps walking in and out of the room and it's reminding me an awful lot of a dinosaur and even watching it again even though I know watch yourself even as as I was 30 it still scares the shit out of me that scene but for the first half of the scene I think oh it's kind of cute maybe it's not so bad oh no it really is it's horrible (laughs) even him he's like stood there and he feels all confident about it and he's like you know one of the big brothers you're not so bad Uh, gets hit by it and he's like oh shit (laughs) <laughs> yeah. she's gonna die <laughs> oh my god yeah <laughs> that's a really great scene but I, I do to kind of go <laughs> so, go yeah. ahead Jay I was just gonna say on kind of to Josh's point I can really remember um when we went and watched this that because we've seen it a couple of times at the Royal Albert Hall with a live oh, orchestra yeah but I, I remember particularly the first time that we saw it and the theme first kicks in on the helicopter and I think we I both look, we both looked at each other and we're welling up on that point <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a whole oh, different way like, you are just thrown in like the kind of majesty of the music of it all that's again right. a score which yeah. does so much to like hit the awe and wonder but then also it has like john williams working in like weird kind of like techno thriller yeah areas, which where he brings in some <laughs> yeah. synth and like to, <laughs> i love like nedry's heist music where it's like it's true dude All i remember that Royal Albert hall seeing it yeah the live orchestra where you can actually see the orchestra performing it's incredible that's such a way to watch a movie really is yeah they do a hell of a way they do a lot of spielbergs there which you know makes an awful lot of sense because it's that kind of spectacle makes a lot of sense do you want to talk a bit about the music andy well yeah it's like part of the element that's like really overwhelming Mm. of it really the kind of like i was saying the kind of like the the or like the, the approach of john williams is kind of going from spielberg's approach of like seeing what this would be like to a child and evoking that sense of like this is absolutely incredible and amazing what we're seeing what is being brought to life in front of our eyes and the the score like this it's weird like because not to kind of like again like kind of just push down on like what kind of Jurassic World doesn't really do this is more just more of a note on the the Jurassic World movies feel a bit more like kind of monster movies so Giacchino's 
scores tend to be a bit closer to a monster movie or a chase movie or a theme park movie that is more of what he's kind of working in here like john williams is kind of going for like you are the the gate to saint peter and you are seeing the most like god like godlike things that you've ever <laughs> seen in your life and it's like then it's like and he's nailed exactly yeah, yeah. That, that sense and tone of that feeling with this like incredible melody that like builds in from like the kind of arrival theme to the islands which is a bit more kind of like adventure adventure theme and rousing but then builds into this really like angelic score which like gets me every time mm. particularly in that brachiosaurus <laughs> uh, it's a dinosaur <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, that <laughs> score is just so incredible. Um, and his, yeah. it's a shame he did. Uh, John Williams did the first two. He didn't do Jurassic Park three. Yeah, which is uh, fair. Again, enough. when we when we get to Lost World, we could talk even more about that score because that's a that is an incredible score for like entirely different reasons as well <laughs> yeah seriously seriously but yeah john williams score is just intense and they re they released yeah uh they released they re-released it a couple of years ago i think yeah with some like new never material before, yeah her tracks um and yeah i don't know it just balances it so well the music somehow fills michael Crichton, which is i'd never thought that would be yeah. right it's very, like you said nedry's theme, <laughs> the techno thriller aspect of it it's just yeah it just you could put that with michael Crichton's prey and it would it would play right like yeah <laughs> really. and even to the point where they're smart enough to know when to not use the score as well where you have like the t-rex attack Oof. and even the kind of like build up to the raptor attack in the kitchen you just get that creepy kind yeah. of chorus choral of like oh when they open the door and then it's largely kind of driven by the suspense of it all yeah and then fluctuates with trumpets when you get more into the like kind of frantic nature of it but it it knows when to it knows when to play its hand and when to when to reel it right back which again is something which is quite a uh, trademark of the spielberg williams pairing but again this is just like a grade aid example of that partnership working <laughs> yeah absolutely and and again i i think with the music i i can't i can't talk about the Jurassic park school without talking about lost world just because of how different <laughs> the shift yeah the tonal shift from from williams and everything but it still matches it still fits it feels like part mm-hmm. of the same world um yeah just completely it completes it and i think it's what's sad about the giacchino thing is that giacchino came off uh, I mean, for me, like Lost. Oh, and, yeah, mate. A handful of other movies, but Lost. I was like, every single piece of music in that show is perfect. And, and you know, he cared about that. And I, I didn't. He's get a fantastic that. composer, but I agree. That He's overworking the himself. Movies. Yeah. For like four <laughs> movies a year. It's like, how are you even <laughs> paying attention at this point? <laughs> like, is it? Am, the, am I correct the, in thinking that he live score? Like, there was no um, like stock music for Lost. Like he live scored every episode. Am, is is that um, apocryphal? I think so. Or is that true? That, that, that I'm sure I've I've read that or some seen that. Somewhere. I think he scored every app. Like yeah, he'd come in. Like and it score wasn't like it app. was incidental music that was in the can. It was he physically actively mm. scored every yeah. single. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, yeah, I, I, I don't I doubt that there was some like tracks. That yeah, were, and it was, he, for episodes was like one... you know, Paolo and whatever her name is getting buried alive. Phone that one, <laughs> that's fine. 
Yeah, but yeah, yeah. For the, <laughs> I was thinking about uh, not Penny's Lost boat. Lost spoilers for any listeners. <laughs> we'll do a spin-off Lost cast. Not Penny's boat when Charlie is spoilers for Lost. That's almost you know twenty years old when Charlie's drowning yeah, and he on, writes man. not Penny's boat on his hand and he puts it against the window and the way the score weaves into that. I my god, man, what a what a piece of television. What a piece of yeah television score. That's it, and I and and he Michael Giacchino had done. To I'm saying it right, Giacchino, right? Yeah, Giacchino. Yeah, Giacchino. That's how I always. Yeah. Oh damn! Every time I say it, I'm like, I'm saying it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Michael G. Um, Sorry, Mike. I uh, he he scored two the Lost World PlayStation games. Wow, did yeah. People thought, oh, he is perfect. He's perfect. And in Jurassic World, he did use some of that Lost World PSX yeah. on PlayStation, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, I just found his score really, um, I didn't connect to it the same way I did with his, yeah. with like the John Williams scores. And then with Fallen Kingdom as well, and then the Dominion score, which leaked. I'm, it's just like, it doesn't, there's no real, uh, it doesn't feel like when you play, when you put the CD of the original score in and you play it from start to finish, you feel the journey. And you feel like you've gone, yeah. even if it's not in movie order, it's in the order that John Williams yeah. wanted it on the album. Yeah. Like you're still going through an experience and going through a, a story with him. And I just don't feel like with the Jurassic World <laughs> scores. Yeah. At all. But we're not here it's to It's a hard act to that. follow. <laughs> yeah. It truly it is. is. It truly is. Um, so to, I, to kind of like go back to the kind of like use of score in certain moments and what have you. And I think the three kind of like big dino dino scenes in this movie. So you get like 11% of this movie is dedicated to dinosaur scenes, which is kind of wild when you think about it. Yeah. (laughs) For the big scenes that you have, they're great. You have the Brachiosaurus moment where every character is filled with awe and wonder. Then the T-Rex attack, which is largely scoreless. And then the Raptor kitchen scene as Mm. well. Which of those kind of like all three sequences working for kind of like, in, in different kind of uh, uh, registers, um, what 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 for you kind of like stands as the kind of like quintessential dino scene in this first Jurassic Park movie out of those three? <laughs> it's, for me, it's got to be the T Rex breakout. That is the Jurassic yeah. Park scene. Mm. That's the you know you you can't control nature, so don't try. Yeah. That's yeah. the sort of like summary yeah. of that. Don't lock up the beasts because. <laughs> uh, um, but. I think for me the raptors as well like that the raptors were like the most yeah. thrilling scariest part and of it, the original Jurassic the big so, villain really aren't they yeah any <laughs> scene with them and the music that goes with them there's a lot of strings and a lot of um, yeah I just yeah. I feel that definitely mm-hmm. what about you Josh no I think I I think I agree that the T-Rex is just so indelible and it, and it is I, I do feel like Spielberg can bring the wonder and the aura of Crichton's writing but Crichton can also bring this sort of almost sadistic side out of Spielberg and this film has some really horrific moments and not as much as in the book when mm. a baby's face gets eaten in the first 30 pages <laughs> there, there is a lot Woo! of there's a lot of, of grisly spectacle in this film that really pushes that PG to the limit and I think that T-Rex sequence really walks the line of of just scary it's, it's like almost like a sort of gothic horror movie the way it builds you up and the way it yeah shakes you 
It's really quite scary. Literally crushing yeah. children in a car and like yeah, then crushing the car even smaller. He's, like he's just scary. Yeah, yeah, that is because the kid, the kid, the little lad Tim is is in a car that's being crushed while he's almost drowning in in wet mud. It's horrifying. It's that, it's that seat's got my feet. <laughs> it's that Spielberg and Cundy thing of so much inference, so much you, it's what you glimpse and what you don't glimpse of the T-Rex. And the plays of light, the image is flooded with light and you see a silhouette through the car window, refracted through the raindrops of the T-Rex. And when it exhales, it steams up the window. And it's little things like that. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's such a sense of that can work for wonder as in the the first scene with the brachiosaurus is when he goes it's a dinosaur but in this instance it really works just to create a real sense of of gnarling dread in your stomach and it's unlike uh unlike unlike pretty much anything else you see in a film of this scale just the patience and uh the patience with which it it, it commits to scaring the hell out of you whilst thrilling you (laughs) and bringing you much joy yeah just 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah just incredible man what about you and uh, nedry sco- oh sorry yeah nedry, uh, no, no no i was just gonna say the nedry score like that uh, as jay mentioned before uh, that, that <laughs> yeah. it's so brilliant yeah. but jay yeah which is your you've uh, also got a, which uh, is it for uh, you? a weasley do getting eaten while he's on the shitter which is always fun I would have to I would have to go for that scene as well because it is like just the centerpiece of the whole thing yeah. quite literally and it it's where everyone feels like they're really showing off from yeah that because it's the most seamless blend of the kind of animatronic to full CGI in the long shots and then the puppet heads coming down or even just like the and just so many shots within it are what I call the kind of um like the that are the iconic shots of Jurassic Park for me, where it is Alan Grant holding a flame in yeah. front of a T Rex. Uh, it's Lex shining a torch into Lex's <laughs> eye, and T-Rex's you see the pupil eye. dilate. <laughs> it's small details it like that, like though, that. isn't it? The eye dilating, and like yeah, it's wild. <laughs> it just makes it even more real, like the T Rex, even more real. Yeah, that was such a good idea. It, even to just have the separate puppet leg as well, just stepping into the mud. Yeah. So just kind of stand. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh, man. It does so and much to ground the scale of the whole thing. <laughs> filming that scene as well, I think they filmed that on, uh, they filmed that in Hollywood, right? So the, the, with, with yeah, the actual that's animatronic. The stage. And the, uh, it's that famous story of the T-Rex. It got wet. Obviously, oh, it's a raining yeah. scene. And it was was just vibrating and shaking. They didn't know what to do with it. So they were like slapping it with towels, trying to dry it. But um, it's an argument that came in recently. I haven't seen Dominion yet. Wink. No, I, I haven't seen it yet. Um, but there's a lot release, more. Stop winking, there's a lot more animatronics in there. Yeah, I'm playing the movie now. It's on screen. Um, there's a lot more animatronics in that movie. And um, there's mm. you've seen in the trailer, Dilophosaurus... Yeah looks like a 70s animatronic puppet thing like it, it really like harkens back to animatronics but it doesn't blend well with the cg apparently because it's so mm. sort of like animatronic and then really good modern day mm. cg and i think that again that's the art of the stan winston team and all of that back then is that they weren't trying to to show everything off in this amazing way they were trying to mask it and hide it and make it part of the environment make it real um 
and yeah that's why it pays off so well in the first one especially because as you said 11 minutes of dinosaur what? screen time it's really? crazy <laughs> they gotta make them count yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, incredible <laughs> So it's, it's something um, that I kind of, I mean, my uh, initiation with this film, it's, it's a bit weird because it was a bit lopsided in that I was, we'll get into this more in the Lost World episode and the Men in Black episode. 1997 was a really foundational year for me in terms of my um, exposure to blockbusters. And like the, the three blockbusters that I always think of are Men in Black, The Lost World, and be in the Ultimate Disaster movie from 1997. Uh, so Lost World was very much the first introduction I had to Jurassic Park, and I was always too scared to watch it. Um, so I didn't really see any of the movies until I was a little bit older. But Lost World was very much my way into it, and I, I had, I'd only ever seen this movie in you know fits and starts at friends' houses when I was having dinner with them and stuff. But then there was one day... I was at a car boot. My family used to do car boot sales every now and then. Do you remember car boot sales? You'd take all your old tat and you try bloody and love a car boot it. sale. And I found in the back of this guy's car, he had meticulously arranged and labeled video cassettes, like original videotapes from the early 90s. And I found Jurassic Park and I snapped that up and I watched it and it became this real fixation for me. But so, like, so, so intrinsic to my experience with. Jurassic Park as a franchise, particularly this and the second one, is the horror element. Yeah. As a kid, you watch this film, and there is the awe and there is the wonder, but there is so much about this it's like an early exposure to horror. Don't you think? Did, did, did you get a sense of that when you were a kid? Did this scare you? It did, and I think it's like it was largely that raptor kitchen scene, I would say, because I remember particularly when I first saw this, I did, did have it on VHS growing up, but the first time I saw it was on TV in Christmas '96, I want to say. Mm. So I was I was about I was only about just like three and a half years old. I can wow, wow. And I can distinctly remember because I remember it being a big thing because it was the first time it was on like UK TV, mm. and um, I distinctly remember the kind of like adverts for it on the on BBC across like the Christmas network and the, one of the big teaser shots that they would do were the raptors coming into the oh no like bickering window kind of like <laughs> 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 and just like that that was one of the first images i ever saw of jurassic park and i remember that really scaring yeah. me but um otherwise i i just remember being really fascinated mm. from from the off with it i don't ever remember being that scared of it it's the <laughs> abstract images the severed arm of, of Sam Jackson's character, <laughs> the clever girl death scene for Muldoon. It's like li- little discreet images really scared the shit out of me as a kid. And, and particularly the, uh, can you, um, over this, can you can you play me saying the dinosaur's name correctly? The one that kills Nedry. <laughs> I, I, D- Dilophosaurus? You got Dilophosaurus. It. You got it. <laughs> Dilophosaurus. Yeah, just so many discreet images to scare the shit out of me as a little, little boy so as much as i think of the awe i do think of the fear and the nightmare images that i saw that's um i think the horror aspects of jurassic is one of the things that really sticks with me yeah like, that's my one of yeah. my favorite aspects of it i love horror films they're my favorite genre but the jurassic the way spielberg's masters horror oh, in yeah. the film 
uh, is just incredible because he does it for a PG audience, which yeah, yeah. nowadays any other filmmaker in any other studio probably wouldn't get Jurassic as a as a PG mm. now, but you know maybe mm. a twelve A. But uh, it's just so it, it just it has all these horror elements. Scenes play out like a horror, and he holds things from you like a horror. Uh, he he understands the genre enough to play with it in Jurassic, and yeah. I think that's again mm. something that's sort of missing from the more modern ones. I mean, it, it just like, even does become very aliens, doesn't it? At the end, like even going back <laughs> to the camera in the chat, <laughs> seriously does, yeah. Like <laughs> there are no um, events and shit. <laughs> I do. I, I hope. I, I think we plan to get you back on for the Lost World because that really, to my mind, leans much harder into the horror because that film is gnarly as fuck, man. And it's hard to believe <laughs> yeah. that film pushes the PG, brings in much more the yeah. darker Crichton stuff as well. Yeah. Some. So I, I didn't actually get around to finishing reading the book. I got about a third of the way through. But some of the scenes at the start are repurposed in the Lost World, right? The, the little girl getting attacked on the beach yeah, yeah. is the opening to Lost World, and some of the gnarlier things that obviously Spielberg's kinder instincts made him keep out of Jurassic Park. Something had changed between 1993 and 1997 that he felt compelled to include some of yeah. them. If it, it does feel much more cynical and much more like "fuck this" of a movie, which I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to get into in, in whenever several months' time with you, you guys. <laughs> Hopefully not yeah. too long. I could talk about Lost World. <laughs> really is a great movie. And uh, yeah, I think I, I have to come to its defense a lot of the time because people just don't get it. They're, they're, it's not that their opinion that they don't like it. Their, their opinion is wrong. You know, they just don't get it. They're, they're, they're wrong. And I have to... No, but for real, I understand people's hate for the Lost World. I just feel like it does deserve its due. It was following something yeah. that was so important and impactful and mega. And everyone was like, oh my God, oh the next one's gonna be double that it's like how can it be double that like it's not gonna be double that is it and i think it's uh, it muddied the waters for a long time i think um i think if anything the new movies will make people go back to the original trilogy and be like yeah. these ones are amazing these two sequels that they made wow <laughs> like... <laughs> starting to see a little bit of that for jp3 i think even yes. sam neill on this kind of press junket is, has been kind of going on going like i think people should go back and watch that i had a good John he's Stump. like i had a good John time Stump. on that movie yes. <laughs> come on joe johnson it's true sam neill said two very interesting things recently so he dr alan grant's back in dominion we're all really excited for that um but he you know like he, he said there was one interview where he said the modern audience just doesn't quite isn't quite ready now for the sort of pacing and and the way that spielberg made jurassic park the way that movie is the audience now just can't really handle that so dominion like he was sort of, sort of like softly saying dominion isn't like that because it can't be because audiences can't handle it and and then he says, you should all go back to JP3 and watch JP3. I think we should give that movie another chance. I think he's making a comment on modern modern cinema and like the way the blockbuster machine is now. Yeah. Remember, these actors are all trapped in a hotel together. For, have you seen the, the parody yeah. of Dominion movie? <laughs> the spoof of the... Oh, yeah, like, the bubble. <laughs> like, that, that's based on Dominion, right? The, the production oh, is that true? Yeah. They were all trapped. They were all trapped yeah, yeah. in this hotel. Well, the the Apatow like, movie this... is is based on the Dominion. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. Wow. 
Oh, yeah, no, they, and, they and, and yeah. officially, you know, it's like, oh, it's just a soft light. Oh, it's just the idea, isn't it? And, and apparently, on the off the record, it's a little bit more true than people want to believe. <laughs> some some of it, obviously, you watch that movie. You're not... Some boys absolutely getting crossbowed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's a really interesting one. But these actors have all, you know, he lives in New Zealand, you know, and like he mm-hmm. came over and then had to be stuck with all these people for six months. But got to see studio execs consistently making notes on this movie and, and surrounded by a studio team probably really like made him realize how much Hollywood has changed yeah. Yeah, from yeah. his yeah. days there. Like not these out of it, but And even to Yeah. Even to kind of like go back to like the production of this one where they are met with that um moment during whilst they're shooting it with a uh, hurricane uh Iniki, that like whilst it's not as like prolonged as like um the kind of extent in which they would have had to have done for shooting dominion where they are having to bubble up and be in hotels and be closely monitored there is a point in this production where they're having to where they all have to like they all had to get in their hotels um ballroom to kind of like cozy up and how that kind of kind of like intense period of like having to really like bond and muck in together kind of has an opposite effect really for the kind of community of this movie and again i think that bleeds into the kind of familiarity with these characters that you feel in this sort of in this sort of movie how kind of at ease everyone kind of feels in the characters that they're playing because they had this time yeah to kind of chat chat a bit more openly about how they're approaching this thing (laughs) yeah and from uh teasers and tv spots it definitely seems like there are some scenes with the original cast that's that it's going to be really exciting there's a something jeff goldblum says they're walking out of what seems to be like the biosyn headquarters and he says something about so i don't know he says something great and it just seems very jurassic and you're like yeah i think these three are gonna bounce off (laughs) each other really well in this movie um like they do in the original throw a bunch of people you know they didn't know Ian Malcolm, he's this absolute weirdo. <laughs> Touching everybody. Have you got uh, an impression? Mm, uh, mm, uh, no. I can't do it. Lifting up the skirts. <laughs> just uh, saying stuff. <laughs> and it was like, ooh. Uh, uh, dance or skirts. Who is this man just making weird sounds that you've brought with us? Some people, and that's again. I bring the scientist. You bring the rock star. <laughs> yeah, how how that character changed? We'll save it. But how that character changed? Yeah, between one and two. Come yeah, on. that's great writing mm. right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to kind of kind of go back to a point that like me and Josh are touching on there is like cause, because this is such a film that is seen is so ingrained in like our formative t- years of growing up with movies. Can you can you pinpoint a moment when you first? experienced Jurassic Park or got a first or an image of Jurassic Park because like Josh was saying that was more it was more the lost world was his gateway into it what 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 what's the narrative what's the narrative for you on that side of it Jack I honestly can't remember mm. I definitely didn't see um the lost world in cinemas because I was a child uh but I Jurassic Park 3 was the first one I saw but I just had the first thing I can remember is just being sat in my living room facing the like sat in front of the vhs player the tv up here and just i had jurassic park and lost world on vhs and it was just put one in watch it take it out put the other one in watch it and you then <laughs> repeat cycle yeah yeah i just that's my memory is jurassic park and the lost world both on back to back 
again and again and again and again. And that's all I did. And that's all I watched. And, and they, they captivated me, I think, just equally. You know, like, yeah. there wasn't one or the other. It really was just both, which is obviously why I'm so obsessed with The Lost World now. But, it, mm. it like, they have It was a that. double feature for you every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real, for real. And, and it was weird being um, having the experience with JP3 being the first one I saw in cinemas, which is why when they re-released, as we were saying before, when they re-released these movies and you get to see them again, if, it, if it's a movie that really has impacted mm. you and, and sort of crafted your career or just the way you, you are in life, and you get to see it in the cinema again with a love of cinema. That is like such a unique experience. Yeah. That for me was better than a yeah. sequel. That for me was better than getting JP4 because it was seeing the thing that made all that like have meaning anyway, you know? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mesmerizing movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you guys ha- did have to bottle, like we, we've spoken a lot of the kind of like the, the wizardry of it or the kind of the the ho- the, the ho- balancing of the horror and the aura of it and the characters of it but if you really had to someone was like really like gun to head moment you like you, you had to bottle it down into like a bite size statement of like why is this so good why are people telling me this is good aliens come down and like we've had we've heard some things about this <laughs> Jurassic Park <laughs> why is it so good <laughs> why is it so good I, honestly, how are you supposed to all of it, everything, the story? <laughs> that's a really hard one. That's a hard. There's question. a bit when, and, and again, I don't know dinosaur names, but when when they, when they first, when Grant and Settler, Settlers first see the dinosaurs in the flesh, and they're looking at a herd of dinosaurs, smaller dinosaurs. Jack, I'm sure you know the name of them. The Parasaurolophus was there. Them ones. Um, that's all I'm going to give you. And they're, 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 they're running together. And he says, they're running in herds. They do run in herds. And that, the way his yeah. voice, ever so slightly cracks when, when decades and decades of hypothetical research is like bears fruit before his eyes. That, I think mm. that's probably the moment that sums up the joy of this film. That real yeah, human yeah. connection amidst this Un- unimaginable CGI spectacle. That's that's the balance that Spielberg gets so beautifully right in this film. And and and, and yeah, it's you know what Sam Neill's performance in that whole scene yeah. is just so real. And like, if you were a paleontologist, you'd be like, yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's what I've been dreaming about. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, you're right. That that and then the how do you do this? I'll show you. Oh my That's god! That's like ah, come on! <laughs> that whole nineties yeah, movies, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something about it. It's just a feeling, <laughs> isn't it? I think yeah. Amblin yeah. is a feeling, but then Amblin is a feeling. <laughs> is it? <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have one in mind, Andy? When you ask the question. I, it, it was very unfair of me to ask you guys that question without having one already in the, in the canon. <laughs> <Slowly, laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's because, like, even to like that question of like, if an alien asked me to like tell them what cinema is, I would be like, I'll watch Jurassic mm. Park. That's what. That's what. That's what movies can do when you when you when you really want to know what a movie can do, what uh, what it can put on the screen, and uh, particularly in a fashion where. Um, You've had you you have things you can kind of compare it to, be it like kind of the old Ray Harryhausen sort of dinosaur approaches. But when you want to see something that's like really truly doing something 
very groundbreaking in a, in the only medium that it really can, and for a manner which does do it that doesn't sacrifice any kind of sense of it. It doesn't sacrifice character. It doesn't sacrifice meaning, and it's pairing the spectacle with emotion and character and uh, like yeah it ju- it's just a, a a very perfect encapsulation for me as to why i just bloody love movies yeah, <laughs> yeah. very pure hell yeah man yeah that's a great little analogy as well if aliens came down and <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were like what what's cinema them? to you <laughs> like, what? come to my house we'll play jurassic there you are <laughs> Yeah, I have it on VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, or an open map. <laughs> yeah. Which fine. version do you want to watch? You can watch the open map print. They'll be like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, right, well. <laughs> Listen to Ramblin, episode 32, and, and yeah. Jack will tell yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> the analysis of that, though. <laughs> so I feel Love I feel it. like it, it feels like we're naturally approaching a point of closure. And, and again, you've got an out very soon, Jack. So I feel like, and I hope Andy will agree we should pass the mic to you for the, the closing indeed. thoughts on this matter if indeed you have any closing oh, to me, thoughts I thought you were passing yes, it no, to Jay no, no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> before you go because uh, this is something <laughs> that has happened since you very first came on this episode What? why do you call him Jay for their listeners sake <laughs> so Jay mentioned at the beginning um, of <laughs> the episode that we met in sixth form. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but we were in media studies class, I think. And we, were yeah. in, we were in different... We'd partnered up, I think. Not me and Andy, me and somebody else. Everybody partnered up. And you had to make a magazine cover, right? Is mm-hmm. that right? That's right. <laughs> I, I remember looking across the room and seeing JJ's, and he had... It was you on the cover, and you were recreating the J.J. Abrams pose that he does with his back. Is that right? It, it was yeah, you yeah, were recreating that's exactly it. it. And I was like, you look like J.J. Abrams, man. And then that was it. That was Very like the much connection. The, that... the, like, it was like maybe the second lesson we had ever had in each other. So we weren't even like, we were only just starting to get friendly. And this was like right at the start of it. So it just stuck. <laughs> <laughs> He really did look like JJ. I know I now have whole friend groups and like people adjacent to that friend group who only call me J. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Rob, yeah, your time in Guernsey was not under the name of Andy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Rob Hunter, one half of our theme music composers, calls you Jay. Yeah, Rob and Greg only call me Jay. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> Love the theme, by the way. I think Greg sh- shared me an early, um, an early thing of that. I think. And yeah, I think you did Jay as well. It sound, sounds great. Really does sound great. Did a bang up. Thank you, man. Nice into it. <laughs> um, final thoughts on Jurassic Park. Best movie ever made. Um, arguably, there are Fight other me. movies that are equally <laughs> as awesome. But uh, yeah, like. <laughs> But uh, it really is just an amazing movie. And it, it, it I'm lucky that I saw it when I did. I'm lucky that I guess my mum brought me those VHS tapes and played them for me as a kid, probably to shut me up. Yeah. And, I, and they it just captivated me. And, and my whole career, I'm lucky enough to now actually be working on the franchise, the very franchise that we're talking about. Yeah, which is man. Lucky. Um, hell of a thing. It, it's crazy how things work out. Yeah. And, and I would say like, I'm lucky none of this would have happened without just me 
being like, I want to have a website for Jurassic Park, you know. And I just, mm-hmm. yeah, any any goal. That wasn't my main driver at the time. I always wanted to be a filmmaker. So I was like, Outpost was a was a thing that I did on the side. But it just, yeah, I just would, don't ever stop that shit. <laughs> do the yes. shit that you want to do, the stuff you care about, because you never know where it will go. Like, I'm yeah, man. really lucky with that regard. It's all because of Spielberg's movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. But thank you so much for having me on, guys. And um, you're in the 90s now. You're at 93. Yeah. Oh, baby, yeah. I'm a long way. We're all alive yeah. by this point. We've all been born. Yeah. That's it. We were popped out. Yeah. Now, now we're part of the Amblin world. Yeah. Um, now we got the first Adam's You know, I, I, funny, your Poltergeist episode, I'd never seen um, Poltergeist fully like i've seen poltergeist the movie but always in i've seen it in like thirds right right right. yeah yeah. like yeah before i listened to your pod i was like you know what i'm gonna put poltergeist on start to finish and that was such an enjoyable experience because i was doing it for a podcast i was like i'm gonna watch this movie and then i'm gonna listen to the podcast and sit there (laughs) no you're all wrong and just shout shout the whole time (laughs) into the void No, but seriously, oh, I love thank, that. Thanks, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's been a, an absolute no, pleasure. No, man, absolute pleasure. Yeah, really nice. Uh, and with before you. we let you run away, where can the good people find yourself and uh, Jurassic Outpost if, if they're not already familiar? Uh, you can find JurassicOutpost.com would be the best place to find it. But they are across. They are. We are across all social medias, um, including, unfortunately, and not limited to TikTok. We will be um, launching, <laughs> launching an outpost, Get that TikTok, outpost which I TikTok. personally think is a bad no it's a great idea i just hate tiktok right? <laughs> yeah. um, but just check out search jurassic outpost a little amber symbol you'll see it jurassic park and uh me don't look for me online <laughs> you'll never find me just go for the outpost <laughs> yeah go for the outpost i live off the grid now completely <laughs> it's much healthier for it i imagine <laughs> <laughs> yeah for real though jurassic outpost.com be the place oh yeah yeah, definitely do it, man. You're all doing incredible work, and I'm very proud of you for <laughs> seeing oh, how far so it's much. come. <laughs> right back at you, man. I'm really enjoying this this um, this podcast series. You guys are doing well, and I'm looking forward to joining you on the Joe Johnston one. Hell yeah! Oh baby! <laughs> but before then, we have 997's Lost World. Yes, 100%. let's do it. Um, cool. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Much man. love, Jack. Love Thanks you very well. much. See you very soon. <laughs> Universal Pictures presents. You feel that? Hold on to your butts. A Steven Spielberg film. Senses a feeling all over the park. Yeah, that's nice. Gotta go. An adventure. Look out! Go! I can't get Jurassic Park back online. 65 million years in the making. Jurassic Park. Thank you once again for Mr. Jack Delamere there joining us for our epic discussion on Jurassic Park. Please do check out Jurassic Outpost. Um, it is a like the the full stop for me for like kind of any Jurassic news, and uh, really it does kind of highlight and demonstrate the the pure love that is out there for this franchise. That um, um, yeah, it's it's a fantastic site, and they really do they like the the work they're doing at the minute is nuts. <laughs> so. It's just yeah, it's always a delight to see Jack. I hadn't, I hadn't spoken to Jack in in Don. Uh, I think since 
two houses ago for you in London, Andy, a long, long time yeah. ago, which I realise means nothing to the listener. About it's a good like five or so years, long time pre-pandemic, but it's also nice to see that to feel that pure fandom, the pure love of something that doesn't lean into possessiveness. It's just wanting to share something and geek out about something. I think that's very nice. There's a purity to that that, that one can get behind. And Jack is at the he's tapped into that pipeline without post. And it's very nice. So here, here, here's to you, Jurassic Park fans, and Jack and the Outpost gang. Cheers, gang. And I think that's a lovely little segue into like the um, tweet section of the show because we did get a good response for this one. Yeah, I mean, must, unsurprisingly, must <laughs> yes. <laughs> we had a fair few uh, individuals tweet us in with their with their thoughts. Uh, one of whom I'm just going to dive in and uh, and and, yeah, go go and, and, and pick one. Uh, Ryan Oostry. Okay, how would you say his surname, Andrew? I did see this one. Where is it? Where's it gone? Ryan Ryan, Ryan Ostr- Ostrike. Ryan Ostrike. At Bearded Rhino fifteen. <laughs> At Bearded Rhino fifteen on Twitter. Ryan, seriously sorry for mispronouncing your surname. Please do forgive us. But your tweet was very nice, and I want to share it now. He says the film I was most excited to show my daughter as a parent. I couldn't wait until she was older. Started at the age of five, and her obsession with the films has grown ever since. We've seen every film, and the camp crustacean. Uh, Cretaceous. Yep. Show is a mainstay in our circuit of shows on Netflix. She'll be nine in July and we cannot wait to see the next instalment. But she says the original is one of her all-time favourite films. Hashtag parenting win. We can get behind that, Ryan. Yeah. We can co-sign that. Is such that. a sweet story. Yeah. Do you think <laughs> really the other bits of that one. <laughs> that you're very excited to show your kids, your hypothetical kids, that may or may not exist one day? Jurassic Park is certainly one of them. Yeah, a lot of the ones on this podcast, for sure, are, are up there. Yes. <laughs> um, our good friend Harley at Fundamentals Podcast uh, messaged in again to say an absolute classic. As a kid who upset, who was obsessed with dinosaurs, the movie was easily one of my favorites and still remains so to this day. I love it so much. I even dedicated an episode of the show to it with the wonderful Tom Butler. Can't wait to hear the episode, guys. And yes, you should also definitely check out the episode on JP. Yeah with uh, Fundamentals Pod and Tom because it was fantastic, a fantastic episode. And Tom Butler certainly didn't confine his adoration to the episode. He tweeted us also by saying that hashtag Jurassic Park is my favourite movie of all time. It's the best summer blockbuster ever made, full of heart and spectacle, laughter and surprises, and bloody terrifying dinosaurs. I simply cannot get enough of it. Which is a good summation of what we've been talking yeah. about on here for two hours, I think, isn't you it? You should also check out Tom's James Bond A to Z podcast, A to Z podcast. That's, that's an excellent podcast too. Mm-hmm. Lots of podcast recommendations coming your way in this episode. <laughs> and we also had a tweet from a previous <laughs> yeah. guest. Load him up on your pod provider, your podcast. Yeah. Called... <laughs> uh, we also had a tweet from a previous guest of the podcast, Mr. Daniel Kelly at Deacon Round on Twitter. Greatest motion picture of all time. Who between Andy and Josh gives us bigger Dennis Nedry vibes? Discuss with vigor and keep up the biblical, biblical work. Thank you, Dan. Um, who does? Who <laughs> does? Me? I don't know. <laughs> I have been thinking about this, and I no, I don't. I don't think so. I, I don't see myself as a Dennis Nedry man, but I also see you as even less of a Dennis Nedry. So I think by that rationale, it has to be me. <laughs> it's not you. 
Who who's more? There was something I forgot to bring up. But who's more likely to dress up in costumes inspired by character uh, Mikey and the Goonies? I'm <laughs> mouth and Goonies. Have you ever noticed that his his costumes are very similar to Goonies characters? <laughs> I do. I, I have a lot of Hawaiian shirts in my wardrobe, so I suppose it would be me. I'm currently wearing a floral Jurassic Park shirt, so maybe this is it's true. This juncture. Maybe we can pass a baton between ourselves. Yeah, it's like the whole when that person said that one of us laughs like a hyena and we partly yeah. kept on passing Who's the Who's got the most like, was... high-pitched, like, elementary <laughs> 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 laugh? <laughs> Who's mo- most likely to hang out at the vending machines? <laughs> <laughs> Check the vending machines! <laughs> uh, I got a couple of surprises lined up, so do you want to take the next one as well, Andy? Sure. We also had another tweet from a previous guest, uh, which is from uh, Robin James Carrington at Twitter, at Robin James. This is the most exciting Jurassic Park related release happening this June. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the only one as far as I know. <laughs> Thank you for that, Robin. And we hope we, li- <laughs> we, hope we live up to expectation. <laughs> uh, a good friend of mine and my girlfriend's Olivia Newell. This is her favourite film as well. So she got in touch with some thoughts and some fun facts that she had lined up. She said, ooh, I have some fun, fu- uh, fun facts. The Velociraptors in film one are men in suits. The T-Rex animatronic mm-hmm. was reused uh, from film one in film four. And the dinosaur roars were adapted from noises from a Jack Russell Terrier. Best film ever, she says. <laughs> and, uh, There's lots yeah, of think. lots of animals in that next. I, I was reading about like uh, a walrus and a... Uh, and a dinosaur, uh, a dinosaur, uh, and a dolphin are used for like the raptor calls. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the big the big surprise I had landed up was that um, a friend of ours at university was uh, maybe one could say irrationally, given that they're extinct, uh, terrified of dinosaurs, and she could not oh, consume okay, any media yeah. <laughs> that had any dinosaur content in it. Uh, but then one time uh, she decided for charity that she would do a sponsored viewing of Jurassic Park and she would conquer right. her fears. And I reached out to our friend Kira Smalley, who was said woman, uh, to ask uh, for her recollection of that uh, experience, which I unfortunately wasn't able to witness firsthand. Were you there, Andy, for the No, no, I, I was Kira away that, week- viewing. that weekend as well. I would kill yes. her. <laughs> <laughs> She's an excellent person. I would love to get Kira on the podcast one day. She'd mm. be she'd be great crack to coin Dan Kelly's face. So I asked her uh, what her recollections were, and Kira said, Well, I remember bursting into panicked tears the moment the first dinosaur was on screen, which I believe is the long necked ones in the distance near the start. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I didn't stop crying for a good hour after that. The T-Rex bit with the toilet was particularly fucked up for me. But then by the time it got to the bit with the raptors in the lab kind of place, question mark, I was pretty numb and was just watching the movie almost like it was a normal movie I wasn't terrified of. <laughs> I hope, it, I hope it, that sounds like it kind of might have worked through the fear. <laughs> it sounds like it might have, yeah, yeah. So thank you so much, uh, Olivia and Kira, for sharing your thoughts yeah. on that. It's always nice to hear such a... <laughs> different experiences with this film and uh yes it really is i honestly i've i had a i had a friend message me separately on whatsapp as well um friend uh nathaniel ecker um he he messaged in to say i was late to the party with jurassic park so didn't have the nostalgic lens that most do when watching it as an adult however viewing it for the first time aged 18 it still blew my socks off 
The animatronic work, the solid script, and especially John Williamson's score all come together to deliver an exceptional piece of entertainment. I would guess I was a victim of Jurassic nostalgia after all, as riding the JP Universal water ride a few years later got an unexpected tear out of me when we waded through the gates and a Williams score kicked in. Now, is this another ride that you went on when you went to Universal Parts? You bet it is, baby. Thank you for that message, Nathaniel. And then, like... it's a good segue for me to ask Joshua yeah. Glenn about his uh, experiences at Universal Parks. <laughs> the year was 2006. Like, there was Glenn. me, there was my mother, my father, my sister, and my gran. And we've gone to, yeah, Universal Islands of Adventure in Orlando, Florida. And there's a whole Jurassic section uh, that had a couple of rides. The main event was the aforementioned Jurassic Park River Adventure. And it was a very fun log flume that was. Have you ever. Have you ever have you ever been on that ride, Andy? No, never been. You know one of those rides where uh, the kind of gist of it is that along the way things are fucking up, and you're just trying to work, like you're just trying to get through yeah. and not get destroyed. It is a case of that like, you you're you're going through this thing amidst the dinosaur breakout, and the very final plunge is a plunge down the waterfall. Uh, and I I think maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you sort of plunge either through or in front of a huge T-Rex that's roaring in front of you. I was much younger at the time, but certainly the plunge sticks massively in my head. That was a hell of a thing. And the only other ride in that area that I can recall is the uh, Pteranodon Flyers, which is something that we queued up for for literally two hours because (laughs) we've been there for a long time and not gone on many rides. Two hours we queued up for this thing. And it was just a gentle... You sit... You sit in this like this uh, suspended swing, and you're gently carted around a very, very small surface area of the Jurassic. Doesn't sound very comfortable. Of <laughs> it wasn't comfortable. It was rubbish, and we were all very angry. And when we got down, we uh, we we whinged for a while about that. So boo <laughs> to Tyrandon Flyers, but yay to Jurassic Park River Adventure. <laughs> oh man! And I think back now, I feel like obviously this is back in 2006, so there was not even a whiff of a JP4 as Jack was referring yeah. to it. But now so I, I think, think it that's is all rebranded. Jurassic World. Jurassic yeah. World, yeah. And I think there is a new. I think there's a couple of new rides there. There's probably a VR thing, isn't there? Let's face it. But I don't know what that is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fun, fun, fun time though. Fun time, albeit. Maybe not as iconic as the uh, Back to the Future VR experience. Or the, <laughs> the E.T. bike E.T. ride. <laughs> Thank you, Joshua. Uh, in this time, I found two more tweets that I didn't realise that we also had. So I'll also read these out. Um, our, our good friend Andy Peterson um, shared with us a contest winning video that he uh, won with uh, Jurassic oh, yeah. on the, yeah, yeah, the official yeah. channel. Um reliving uh, the moment when he saw it for the first time in 1993. And he shared a couple of links to uh, both that video itself and his finished Jurassic bedroom that he had when when he was younger too. So do check out those on our Twitter feed if you can. And uh, other other regular uh, contributor and writer in, uh, Victor Field, tweeted to say, I'm amazed that Spielberg gave us this and Schindler's List in the same year. The Jurassic World movies just aren't in the same league. I think they're very much echoing a lot of our sentiments there in the episode with Jack. Uh, both to the kind of awe of Spielberg managed to 
juggle this kind of bipolar experience as he coined it and uh, the state of the Jurassic World franchise but um, Jurassic World Dominion is now in cinemas uh, nationwide (laughs) yeah send us more stuff Mattel (laughs) yes thank you Mattel (laughs) I've got good use out of that Rex Mars I promise Uh, and and I, uh, there's one more tweet that's not so much um, a thought or an opinion, but it's a recollection or a hint at a recollection that I feel remiss to not shout out. It's by Kat Hughes at Gizmo Shikari uh, on Twitter. Uh, she says, I'm sure you've already got enough people lined up around the block, but if you need anyone old enough to have seen it in the cinema, then let me know. Kat, we're sorry for not reaching out for further opinions, but it's very exciting to imagine that you were there Uh on the original release, seeing it in the cinema, Ground Zero. Damn, you've got something we'll never have, Cap. What I would give. <laughs> what I would give. So yeah, I think what this podcast, which must be running close to two and a half hours now, has shown yeah, probably. is that we have a lot of love for this film. <laughs> yeah. And thank you all for writing in and like and if you ever want to if you ever want to retroactively give thoughts to Jurassic Park, well we'll be happy to hear them. Just get in touch. Oh yeah. But uh The mailbox never like, closes. You could, indeed. You could even want to do that um instead of commenting on what is our next film, which is once again Dino flavoured. Nineteen ninety three is the year <laughs> of the dinosaur, it so seems. Uh for we'll be stepping back into the um the <laughs> the the House of Amblimation, uh, with the next animated effort from the, from the studio, that being Ninety uh, Freeze. We're back, a dinosaur's story. <laughs> um, the second feature from Amblimation of the three that they made before calling it a day, um, <laughs> featuring the voice talents of the likes of John Goodman, Jay Leno, and Walter Cronkite. <laughs> Fuck Jay Leno. Uh, this film is available to rent or buy digitally if you do not have it to disc and you can do so at the likes of Chili, Amazon, Google Play, Microsoft Store, Apple TV, YouTube, uh, I've said Microsoft, Sky Store and yeah that's it I'm afraid no recruited TV this Uh. week (laughs) and you can't even stream it anywhere for free (laughs) (laughs) if you've got any thoughts on We're Back a Dinosaur Story or Jurassic Park or anything uh, hitherto covered Mm -hmm. in the Amblin filmography or coming up then tweet us at ramblinamblin or email us at ramblinaboutamblin at gmail.com this one's going to be a bit of a uh, fever dream, I think, because like I I watched this a few years ago for when I was working on something about amblimation. I I I just oh, wow, it's not good. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, almost spo- curious. Spoilers, there, gang. <laughs> We've got a couple of very fun, very silly guests lined up, so I'm excited yeah. for the conversation we're going to have about it more exactly. so than the actual watching of it itself. Yeah. <laughs> So we so shall hold see. on to your butts for that one, ladies and gentlemen. Hold but, um... on to your butts. <laughs> Andy, I've got to ask you, man, as a guy who has this movie in one of his four favourite film slots on Letterboxd, how did you find this? Did you have fun? 
I had incre- like yeah, I, just chatting to two of my favorite boys about one of my favorite movies. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> what what, what could a be nice, better? what a nice scene! <laughs> oh, I, I do like, I do like. It's been this, this, joy. Is, this is why we do this. This is why we do yeah. this to get excited about. It's really got those stuff. endorphins going. <laughs> I forgot oh, to hold on to my butt though, so it's somewhere on the other side of the room. And I'll, uh oh. <laughs> And we hope you also enjoyed it as much as we have, dear listener. A big thank you again to Jack for joining us for the discussion. An absolute delight, and we look forward to welcoming you back again in the future. Please do check out Jurassic Outpost until then. Um, but uh, And also reach out to us as well on the Twitters and our email, ramblinaboutamblin at gmail.com. And we'll, and we'll be... And we'll be happy to reply and uh, interact and share any of your thoughts on future episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, until then, we hope you all take care and always remember, life uh, finds a way. I have <laughs> yeah. been and will continue to be Andy Godian. Same for me, but Josh Glenn. <laughs> and together we have been rambling and ambling podcasts all about Jurassic Park. We'll see you next time when we're back with a dinosaur story. <laughs> Until then, we're moving in herds. We do move in herds. <laughs> take care. Take oh, take gang. <laughs> take, take care, gang. We'll take, see you next time. <laughs> take care. <laughs> Ciao. One of those. One of those can be an ending. One of those will do. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs>